Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, I don't want to oversell this slate for week five. So I'll just say this. Cancel all of your plans on Saturday unless you are watching 13 hours of college football. That's right, 13 hours. When was the last time that we had multiple SEC matchups of top 15 teams with at least three games played? Do you know the answer to that question? I sure don't. <laughs> November 3rd, 2018, my half birthday. Um, so pretty important day in the O'Gara household. Okay. We had, it was Bama LSU and Georgia Kentucky. I don't want to go down that road for you too much because it was 29 nothing, Bama LSU. Yep. Um, That's why I don't remember that it, day at all. Anyway. <laughs> great point. Great point. It, it was division championship weekend. Had a lot of buildup. But I'd argue that this weekend right here that we are about to embark on has a little bit more depth to it because besides just Ole Miss, Bama, and Arkansas, Georgia, we've got top 10 Florida at unbeaten Kentucky and then the Tiger Bowl with a potential TJ Finley reunion. Mm -hmm. And, my friend, you ready for this? Oh, yes. We've got UConn and Vandy. Oh, yes, sir. That's the headliner right there. Cancel all the rest of the game. Let's just play UConn Vandy five times. That's all we need in life is UConn and Vandy to play every single Saturday. Might be the best SEC slate since week five of 2015. That weekend, Georgia-Bama. I think that was the game. Yeah, that was the game that like Nick Chubb lost his leg, I think. He lost yeah, his leg? Massive. Not lost his leg, but he like went down with a, with a season-ending injury, and you're like, oh, no, not Nick Chubb. Not, not where I'm right now. Um, what, what else was that? So that, that day was... Uh, number three, Ole Miss at unbeaten Florida. Massive Will Greer game. Yep. Oh, man. I forget about Will Greer so in Florida. Nasty, man. He's like so underrated because you never know what would have happened if he would have stayed there. But I remember actually feeling fear about a Florida quarterback and Will Greer for the first time. I mean, since Tebow. That guy, I've always rooted for him, especially when he left. He had the full sleeve tattoo. He was doing the horns down. I loved Will Greer. People forget Mac chose Trayon Harris over Will Greer. Never forget. A Florida coach we mismanaging must. their quarterbacks. I mean, <laughs> come on. Florida, Florida coaches have done all right with quarterbacks over the course of history. If we want to talk Spurrier and Mullen, like life could be urban. Life could be a whole lot worse than having those three for the last 30 years. Take it as a Chicago, trust me, as a Chicago Bears fan who has had to watch quarterback play for the last 30 years, you could always be worse. You could you have 47 yards of total offense. I'm well, sorry. Listen, you you keep talking about LSU Bama. I'm just going to throw a Chicago Bears reference in there every time. I came out of this pod in a great mood because of the slate that we have on Saturday and because we have an awesome pod today. Awesome slate means an awesome pod. So I'm not going to let your Bears slander get me down. Can only get go, get better from here. We've got interviews with both Grant Morgan and Nicobe Dean coming up. Great to get both of the stud inside linebackers on for a bit. This is just becoming the linebacker podcast. Yep. Think about it. You got those two. We've got Blaze Aldrich, 230-pound Blaze Aldrich. We've got we had Momo Sonogo on a few months ago in the offseason. Cash Daniel comes on all the time. Love hearing from the linebackers, quarterbacks of the defense, people call them. Stick around for those interviews. We're also going to do our usual picks. We've got over-unders, and we'll close with fast food in figuring it out. But first, speaking of food, producer Dan, great suggestion. I have not tried this yet, but I need to. Texas Pete on popcorn. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't it be delicious? You need a little little bit of that, that salty. You need a little bit of that heat. 
That just seems like it, it would go perfectly together. You put Texas peat on, on all things salty as well, so why not get you some of that, that kick, that bite? Nobody ever puts spice into popcorn. That's not really a thing, but maybe it should be. Put some Texas peat on your popcorn. Let us know how it is. This is the perfect time of year to load up on Texas peat, not only because it's football season, but also because right now, for our listeners, you can go to texaspeat.com. You can get recipes, t-shirts, hats, hot sauces by the box. If you do that, you can get 20% off your entire order with the promo code Saturday Down South. That is all one word, Saturday Down South. Use that promo code, texaspeat.com. Get 20% off. Sauce like you mean it. Week five. Whoo, boy. <laughs> I had a really difficult time figuring out where I should start with this one. And we're, we're just going to we're just going to kind of sandwich good games on top of one ever uh, on top of one other because we can't go in order of hierarchy this week. But let's start with the Nooner, the greatest noon game in the history of SEC football. Number 8 Arkansas on the road, number 2 Georgia. Georgia's an 18 and a half point favorite. The over under I have three Sam Pittman references to his UGA days. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking a lot about how much this game would mean for Arkansas. And understandably so. You beat Georgia, and this goes from being an awesome September story to us all of a sudden wondering if we're watching 2013 Auburn all over again. Mm -hmm. Like, Arkansas wins this game, and there's no way that this team should be ranked anything worse than number two in the country. I mean, that is a real thing that is at stake with 60 minutes of football on Saturday in Athens. That's a crazy thought to think in less than two years, you can go from getting blown out by Western Kentucky and firing a head coach who got paid $10 million to not win an SEC game to even having that on the table. That is unbelievable. And we can't say enough good things about Arkansas. But let's also think about what this game means for Georgia. We talked about how favorable the post-Clemson slate was and how Georgia really wasn't going to get pushed or tested in these games after Clemson. And now go figure, Arkansas looks like a better test than Clemson. Now, though, you've also got a chance. Who would have thought that Arkansas would be significantly better than Clemson? As we said in the open the other day, it's not even close that Arkansas is a better football team than Clemson. That is all you need to know about this year 2021 and how nuts it has been. On the Georgia side, you've got a chance for your second win against a top 10 team. And that is pre-Florida as well. Who knows how the Gators are going to fare over the course of the next month before the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. If Georgia's defense, which is ranked number one in America, allowing less than a touchdown per game, comes out in stymies, this Arkansas ground attack that has been so good, that would be quite the statement as well. The dogs are getting Tyke Smith, the West Virginia transfer, back. He is going to be playing in that star position. Talked a little bit about that with N'Kobe Dean. Also getting Darnell Washington back. With Brock Powers and Darnell Washington, we're going to see, I think, a lot of 12 personnel from Todd Munkin. That's one running back, two tight ends. That doesn't mean that they're gonna run, 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 but Barry Odom cannot have the same defensive game plan that worked so well against AM. Georgia can absolutely have balance and it would be set up well to run at a three-man front if that's what Arkansas elected for. I don't think that's gonna work. And JT Daniels is excellent against the Blitz, so good luck with that. That's why we talk about the versatility of Georgia's offense. And if we're going to see its potential, you would think you would see it in a game like this against an elite defensive mind, against a defense that is feeling pretty darn good about itself. I think Arkansas can hang around. You know, I, I think hanging around would be keeping it within two scores. 
But I also think Georgia comes out of the gates firing. And this ends up being 14 to nothing Georgia before Arkansas really knows what hit them. They haven't faced a team, that's Arkansas, who can get those chunk plays in the passing game. And I would expect Todd Munkin to really want to test that early. That's the difference. I see Arkansas figuring things out and looking the part in the second half, but it is awfully difficult to win on the road against a team of Georgia's caliber when you fall behind early. It's different falling behind home when you're at home against Rice compared to falling behind early on the road against Georgia. Mm -hmm. The game script, I think, in this one works against Arkansas. K.J. Jefferson on that bruised knee is put in maybe too many of these obvious passing situations. I think Georgia wins 28-14, to 14, but Arkansas would be covering what's almost a three-touchdown spread. Didn't think it'd be that big. Wow. Will, how do you see this one playing out? Man, this is, uh, is going to be an exciting game. I think I don't want to disrespect Alabama ever because they always prove me wrong, but this has got to be the trenches game of the SEC. I mean, these two teams are just... Pride, they pride themselves in being big, being physical, and just pushing you around. These are two old-school SEC football teams. And like as an SEC fan, this is the exact type of game that I love to see. Uh, great defensive minds. And on offense, you know, well, first off, we got our, our matchup of our you know favorite two thick kings in the SEC. We got to talk about that. K.J. Jefferson and Jordan Davis. I mean, throw Bordarius mm. Ham in there, bro. We got party, first off. <laughs> J.J. Pegues as well. Oh, Pegues. Oh, yeah. Thick King, yes. <laughs> the fourth Thick King. But, yeah, no, um, I, I love what both of these teams have been doing, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And, I mean, I do think that line is, like, a, a little bit disrespectful. But to your point, I think that the two good teams that Arkansas has beaten are so different from Georgia. They're very pass-heavy. Mm. They're very spread it out. Um, well, for some reason, A&M was spread out against them. I don't know why they decided to do that, but you're absolutely right. There's no shot that they're going to come out in a three-man front against Georgia. They're going to get bullied. And, you know, you talked about Sam Pittman. I mean, you got to think that Sam Pittman's culture and legacy is part of the reason why Georgia is the way they are right now. So it's got to be pretty cool him kind of looking at this new team and their identity, looking at Georgia and saying, you know, these are the guys that he obviously recruited, you know, from back in the day, and watching those two face off. It's got to be a great moment for him just as a, as a person. To be able to soak that moment in on the sideline and realize this is the place that you left, mm -hmm. they're still doing very Georgia-like things, which is being as talented and as good as anyone in the country on a given day. And then you look on your own sideline and you see that identity and you see that you, you are a top 10 team who has earned that top 10 ranking. It's one thing to be a top 10 team coming into a season to have expectations. It's another to do so with quality victories mm -hmm. and beating up on teams that should be more talented than you and to do it in your way. That's gotta be as good as it gets. For a head coach and, and i don't know how this one necessarily impacts his legacy long term but i mean crazy to think we're talking about sam Pittman legacy <laughs> you know like that's that's where we're already at with this thing and this is this is if you're if you're going to be barry odom if you're going to be kendall bryles and you're going to be in the discussion for a brawls award at season's end mm -hmm. this is the type of game where you surpass those expectations as well because everybody's patting arkansas on the back right now and it's no longer oh man Wow, I, Arkansas has really come out of nowhere. Now it's, hey, this is a top 10 matchup. And you're going to see talent that you haven't seen quite yet. And that, e that even includes A&M because Georgia's got more ways to beat you than A&M, especially with Zach Calzada at quarterback. So it's great to bring up the, the Sam Pittman stuff. And it is worth keeping in mind 
even if Arkansas doesn't cover the spread in this game, it doesn't necessarily wipe away what they've done so far. Even if they come out and they lose this game by four touchdowns, it's still quite the testament to Sam Pittman to be four and one, probably still gonna be in the top 15 moving forward as we head into October. And that's a great place to be. A lot of programs right now wish they were at that place. Clemson wishes they could be at that place and they're not. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Georgia too is we've seen them eat the SEC East alive with their size and talent. And they're pretty much a walking example of, you know, you've got to recruit to win in this league. And that's the thing about Arkansas, exactly what you said. It's that, yeah, even they could they could not cover the spread. And you could say, well, Sam Pittman hasn't even really had a chance to get a full roster of his guys in. Because you could look across the sideline and see some of his guys being dominant and physical. And I think that it's going to take Arkansas, especially building off of this season, to hopefully get in that echelon to where they can compete with Georgia. But you know what I'm saying? If if they can play Georgia's style, if they can go toe-to-toe with Georgia, that's going to be, you know, we talk about moral victories. This is no moral victories podcast. But this right here will make an exception. This could very much be a moral victory for Sam Pittman. That's true. And I was talking to somebody about this earlier today. Somebody who's very, very well connected and, and knows the way that these dynamics work. And I was saying how, and this is this is more big picture, not as specific to this game, but Kendall Bryles and Barry Odom. Most times when you're a program who has assistants who are really taking off, it's how long are they gonna be around? Right. With LSU, everybody's counting down the days until Dave Aranda takes a head coaching job. If you are an offensive coordinator who succeeds at Alabama, it's when are you getting that head coaching job? At Arkansas, I kind of think it's different. And I don't think it's different just because it's Sam Pittman and people like Sam Pittman. But I don't know that Barry Odom is signing up to be a group of five head coach. Mm -hmm. I don't think Barry Odom is getting a power five head coaching job with the way that it kind of worked out at Mizzou. And as I've said many a time on this podcast, the market for defensive minded head coaches at the FBS level just is not there. And you can go back and look at the numbers and the fact that the top 10 highest paid defensive assistants last year, none of them got head coaching jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is a different market now as we enter the 2020s than it was 10 years ago. So you hold on to that. And then from Kendall Bryles, I don't want to dig in too much to the Baylor stuff, but I can't see anybody anytime soon deciding to make Kendall Bryles the face of the program. Mm-hmm. So look, I'm not going to sit here and beat up the guy about that still, but it kind of lends itself to Arkansas has sustainability. And even though they're gonna probably lose a lot of talent this off season with you know, the six year seniors and they've got 24 year old men, one of them who you'll hear from in a little bit, Grant Morgan coming out there and playing for them, there is still a sustainable model. So if there is a, a silver lining for Arkansas, if you're feeling like, oh man, like there's, there's gonna be, what's, what's the, the negative that's gonna come from this? I would keep that in the back of your mind and know that there could still be plenty of good times ahead. There's a lot of staff sustainability with the model that they've built so far. Let's talk Tennessee in Mizzou. This is an interesting game. The, the over-under I have is one and a half references to Josh Heupel's Mizzou days because people forget offensive coordinator for Drew Locke, 2016, 2017, kind of the place where he rebuilt his career. Got fired from his alma mater at Oklahoma and then he ends up going to, it was Utah State before that. So kind of the place where he became a really respected offensive mind in this sport. And then, of course, he goes on to take the UCF head coaching job. I don't know if it's a homecoming, really, for him. I think Heupel for Mizzou fans was a touch bittersweet because the defense really went downhill. It was almost like, okay, 
do you want the offense to be really good? This is what you're going to sacrifice. And then they, they, they could never have both at the same time at Mizzou. That just wasn't, hasn't really been the case post Pinkle. As for the game, I said it the other day, uh, I'm still really worried about this Mizzou front. And Eli Drinkwitz isn't making some drastic changes. He's sticking with this system. This is what he hired Steve Wilkes for, somebody who has had success at the NFL level. But the results are undeniable. They have really struggled against the run so far. I brought up the number that Boston College ran for the other day, 275. I think Tennessee's a solid running team. They're averaging 204 on the ground right now. And they haven't really been all that healthy yet. And even game flow has kind of worked against them. It worked against them down the stretch in the second half against Florida. I think Tyon Evans and Jabari Small go off in this one. Evans said, we're gonna have some fun in relation to Mizzou's run defense. That worries me a little bit, but at the same time, if I saw some of those things on film, I would be chomping at the bit as well to go up up against Mizzou's run defense. Kind of wondering if Joe Milton gets action in this one. Because I know, I know, Hendon Hooker was banged up in the Florida game and Milton was still working his way back from injury and Heupel said they didn't really want to play him against Florida, but he did when Hooker went down. So I want a caveat in my pick here. Here's what I'm gonna do, I never do this. If Joe Milton is QB1, give me Mizzou. <laughs> that is a ringing endorsement for the Missouri Tigers right there. They are better than Joe Milton. They are better than Joe Milton. If it is Hendon Hooker, give me Tennessee. And I think if I had to bet on one, it's gonna be Hooker, but I, I really don't know at this point. We're recording this. 1.50 p.m. on a Wednesday, so we're probably gonna get more clarity on this later in the week. <clears throat> Weird stat for you. Tennessee is plus 27 in the first quarter against FBS competition. In the second quarter, Tennessee is minus 23. We talked about that. Why does it always look like Josh Heifel's teams from the jump are world beaters, and then in the second quarter, when the script goes away, it's like, oh crap. What are we doing? It's I have this, to this give him work. props for being so consistent. Like, it's so shocking that his identity is just this. It's who he was at Mizzou. It's who he was at UCF. It's exactly what you said. It's like, they, they come out and it's like, we got a little something here today, boys. We, we got a little something. And then it just stops. And when it stops, it's almost like he, his brain starts working backwards. <laughs> it's like, can you just call, like, HB draw or something? Can you just call a regular play? Yeah, why does Like, can you just, like... I don't know why the game script goes, and it's not that he, he drastically changes things all of a sudden, but why is it always so successful early on? And then later, it just looks like such a grind to get offense. And I know Tennessee's personnel isn't built the way that Hypo wants it to. Mm -hmm. And that's gonna be a struggle throughout this entire season. He is trying to live in a house that is getting a total rebuild, mm -hmm. right? He's trying to live through the demo. He's got a, a, a stove that's being taken out and they're coming in and they're putting the new one and he's eating stuff out of the pantry because that's all he can do right now. And look. <laughs> Painting Josh Heupel is just like this savage who's just opening up cans of tuna, shoving them down his gullet. <laughs> all right, everybody who watches HGTV knows that family and they do all the shots and the, the family just looks miserable. They got three kids that are sitting there and they're just eating like, they're, they're eating like some dinner that they just, they, they threw together and they're sitting at this cardboard table in the kitchen while these construction workers are just going to town and putting in new cabinets and all that stuff. That's what Josh Heifel's trying to do. And to his credit, it could be a lot worse. It really could be. 
but it's still gonna be a little bit of a rough go if you have Joe Milton in this one. So again, give me the Vols outright to win, even they're underdogs, but that is the Joe Milton caveat needs to be in there. Joe Milton steps on the field, Mizzou, Hennon Hooker, Tennessee. We good? Is that fair? Yes, I have a statement and a question. Statement is, you know, Mizzou fans, if you have been out of the loop on Josh Heupel again, you haven't missed much. It's kind of struggles to play complementary football. As we talked about, if he could just simplify it, I, I think it could work a little bit better. He, there's so many flashes of what this is. But again, Mizzou fans, like you said, it's, it's bittersweet because, you know, you saw Drew Locke breaking the SEC touchdown record. At the same time, you know, once they got into the heart of that SEC schedule with Drew Locke, it just wasn't there anymore. And, and I hope, like you said, it's all about the run game. It's like if they could just establish that dominance and use the personnel that they had from the previous administration, do what they're good at. Um, my question for you is like, I'm, this is also just a statement. I am confused by this Tennessee quarterback situation. I'm just going to be honest with you. Every single time I think I get it, something happens. So, what you, okay, so let's just say they're all given health potions and they're just 100% HP. Joe Milton starts? Yeah. Gosh. I wish I knew the answer to that question, and, and quite frankly, I don't. Mm-hmm. There, there is, for whatever reason, and I was surprised to see the comments, the way that Heupel talked about Milton after Florida, because he gets into that game, and he says, that, oh yeah, he didn't really want to have to play him in this one. Mm-hmm. He's still working his way back from injury, and it wasn't that long ago that Joe Milton won the job out of camp. Hennon Hooker's been the better quarterback, and it's not close. Yeah. That, that, that to me, and, and I get it, they had some rough moments. Callaway catches that ball on fourth and five, he's still running. As I said the other day, all right? Like, Tennessee's offense has not been particularly bad. They have left points on the field, there's no doubt about it. And there, there have been some tough moments where you see the personnel just doesn't really line up and the drops have hurt them and they're not that good when they get behind the sticks. But at the same time, I still think that Hennon Hooker gives you way more. And I, I do not see the appeal in Joe Milton. I'll, I'll come out and say yeah. it. Like I, if Joe Milton is your starting quarterback, you're you're in trouble. The unguided missile. <laughs> it's a missile, all right. Exactly. He's just it's going the somewhere, buddy. The last play buddy. of the game. The last play of that game against Florida, he throws a fade to the end zone and it goes out of the end zone. Like, what? First of all, that's on Josh Heupel. You know what? That's not on Joe Milton because at this point, if you don't know that that guy can't keep it in the end zone and give his guy a chance. You're doing something wrong. You're seeing something that we're not all seeing at this point. Joe Milton's going to throw it through the state. He's going to throw it out of the stadium at least six times if he's a starting quarterback. On the road, especially. Oh man, yeah. Okay. No doubt. So about good it. to see we're essentially on the same page there. I just didn't know if I was like missing something. Okay, moving on. No, you're not. You're not. And it's been health related as well. Right. So exactly. that, that's that's played played a part between the back and forth here. Florida, 18 and a half point favorite. That's not true. That's not true. Florida's not an 18 and a half point favorite. They're an eight and a half point favorite. Kentucky fans about lost their minds looking at that. Um, well, it deletes the one in the back, <laughs> the extra one that I had in there. Thank you for doing Proof that. Reading. That's what I'm here um, for. That's exactly. The over-under I have, one and a half references to Dan Mullen not knowing Wandale Robinson. Okay. So in case you missed it, and Florida fans, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna come to your to your side here in a second. In case you did not see this. On a Monday press conference, Mullen was talking about the explosiveness of Kentucky's new offense with Liam Cohen and how different they are right now. And then he was asked about Wondell Robinson, and he's like, what's his number? And he was told he's number one. And it was taken as Dan Mullen doesn't know who Wondell Robinson is. When in reality, it was an opposing coach identifying a player by their number instead of their name, which 
it's also Wondell Robinson's first year in the SEC. And even though I've watched him a lot because I still have ties to, to Nebraska and stuff, and I still do some stuff with Nebraska TV, so I've been a little bit more glued into Nebraska football than the average person in the SEC. Uh, I'll say this. Two things can be true at the same time. From the Florida perspective, I would not be worried about this. A Monday press conference, um, Mullen knows exactly who he is on film, which is all that matters because he correctly identified the way that Robinson has been used in play action and why it's so dangerous with what he does in the slot. And Grantham spoke really, really highly of Kentucky's offense. He said, (laughs) this is great, speaking of Tennessee, uh, he said, it's a much more difficult challenge than say last week. Florida played against Tennessee last week. Um, so that, that's saying that Florida is not disrespecting Kentucky from an offensive standpoint. Having said that, from the Kentucky side, what did we learn from the last dance, Will? The last dance? We, what did we learn? We learned lots of things. That people take things personally, I guess, is where you're going with this? Bingo. You can use anything yep. as motivation. Even if that means twisting some words and treating them as disrespect, fire up the, and I took that personally, meme of MJ. If Kentucky beats Florida in Lexington for the first time since 1986, and if Wandell goes off, which not out of the realm of possibility, but if that happens, get ready. Because you're going to get a whole lot of, I bet Dan Mullen knows who Wandell Robinson is now. Listen. Wandell is excellent, and everyone should know who he is, not just because he's the SEC's leading receiver and a friend of the show as well. Can Wandell lead Kentucky to a win against Florida? I think the Cats cover at home. I think they cover eight and a half. But win? I'm not there. I think Florida, who gets Anthony Richardson back, knows exactly who it is. Kentucky shut down Kevin Harris. Shutting down this Florida ground attack, which outside of the service academies is number one in college football right now. That is a different beast. So that's that's the boring answer to this one. I could see Florida playing with a lead and kind of sucking the air out of that stadium who maybe gets a little bit too one-dimensional. I could see Will Levis taking a lot of hits from this Florida front. But this is Florida, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. This is Doreen's got a touchdown. This is Kentucky left two receivers wide open. This is multiple Kyle times, Trask yeah. has taken over. Yeah, multiple times. This is Kyle Trask has arrived and taken over for an injured Felipe Franks. Weird stuff always happens when Florida goes to Lexington. Yep. It is a given. So watch something dumb happen in this one. Like Kentucky thinks it gets like a game ceiling interception or something like that. But Josh Pascal picks up a targeting penalty to keep the drive alive. And then Florida scores a game winner. Something like that will probably happen, which is why I'm just saying that Kentucky covers eight and a half. Anyway, love that the start time, 6 p.m. Eastern. That is going to be fantastic because here's how this is going to set up. After Ole Miss and Bama wraps up, 3.30 start time there. Flip this on when it's in the second quarter, and you'll get three and a half hours of entertainment that's going to lead you right into the Tiger Bowl. And then that's the rest of your night. When I said before that there are 13 hours of entertaining college football for you to watch, this is what I'm talking about. No lulls on Saturday. Week five, bring your big boy pants. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I love that the SEC is just doing the correct thing and being like, look, we don't give a hoot about what's going on outside of this conference. We are going to stagger our games in a way that you're always going to be watching us because, like you said, there's... Don't hate it. I am not even aware of what else is... I will be watching these games. (laughs) Like, just just to be honest, not even, you know, work-related. But, yeah, I mean, 
to be honest, going back to the Wandale thing, it's like if Dan Mullen wanted to be disrespectful, one thing I know and love about Dan Mullen is that he will be disrespectful. He would have said, you know, that guy is not as fast as you think he is or something. Or he, he went around and, and then disrespected Tennessee after that. So Dan Mullen has had no problem saying what he means. Grantham did. Grantham did, not Mullen. <clears throat> Grantham did, which oh, Grantham's right. never afraid to disrespect Tennessee. So uh, Mullen has had moments of disrespect at his pressers, but it was actually not him who threw out the Tennessee shoe. You're, you're right. I'm, I'm just saying that, you know, he's disrespected people with it. He's done everything. So I don't think that that was intentional. Yes. But yeah, no, we, my, my favorite thing is, you know, it seems like Kentucky has been playing the same game like we were talking about for three years. It's like they get in these, they play to their competition, they make these games just winnable. And it's like, that's what I yep. love about Mark Stoops. And you're right. It's like, I think weirdly enough, this is going to be a pretty good measuring stick for for um, Florida as well. Because if this is a good Florida team, they should have the athletes to really make this a track meet. And that's not what Kentucky's trying to do. You know what I'm saying? Will Levis is a great quarterback. Wondell's dynamic. But in terms of like game planning and, and what Florida is excellent at they don't want to do this even though the rushing attack like you said is, is dynamic it's like they don't want to do a ground and pound game with Kentucky because Kentucky wants to do that they want to get up and down the field quickly so I think the pace of this game is really going to matter but yeah I, I, I'm about aligned with you and I think Kentucky does just enough to cover that spread but I don't think this game is going to be in doubt yeah and I, th- I think that this is a prime opportunity for Kentucky and the atmosphere is going to be great but I still think Florida's the better team. Mm-hmm. And if Kentucky turns the ball over the way that it has in these, in these first four games, forget about it. Oh, this yeah. is going to be Florida winning convincingly. Troy, South Carolina. Um, South Carolina is a seven and a half point favorite. The over-under I have is 30.5 South Carolina points. Do you know the last time that the home fans, the great home fans in Columbia, South Carolina, saw the Gamecocks hit 31 points against an FBS team at williams Bryce. Oh, no, you said an FBS team. Ah. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. There's the count. Oh, no, I don't have this one at all. Let's see. I mean, Muschamp was a defensive guy, but I feel like they had a couple of... I'm going to guess, like, 2018. Well, once again, you are correct, sir. It was 2018, cool. and it was October 6th. It was a monsoon that day. I remember I was at uh, I was at LSU Florida that day. Mm-hmm. That was a huge, huge day in the SEC. Awesome game to be able to watch. Mizzou had that 57-yard field goal with a minute left, and then South Carolina comes right back. Parker, Parker White for the win. Parker White still kicking field goals at South Carolina. Never going to leave. Still doing it. Six years senior. I love that when, when kickers um, just get like doctorates from these SEC schools. It's like, yeah. have yourself a day. Like, yeah. Who cares if you're 28? Nobody's going to look at that. Mm-hmm. Just Nobody's going to check your eligibility. You could do this as long as you want. Just keep kicking field goals. Nobody's going to ask for your birth certificate. You're fine. And don't, more don't importantly, it makes me and Connor feel young. So please continue. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I originally was thinking to myself, oh, this was a Jake Bentley game that day, October 6, 2018. And then I remembered, no, it wasn't. It was Michael Skarnecchia. Michael Skarn, the backup for South Carolina, who came in and led an offensive blitzkrieg, which by Will Muschamp offense standards, that is an offensive blitzkrieg. So yeah, it's been a while. It's been a minute since South Carolina fans have seen actual good offense against real competition at home. That's 15 consecutive games. Three years since the home fans saw 31 points at home against an FBS foe. You talk about being star for offense. That, that, is, that is South Carolina. This is going to be a telling game 
for the South Carolina offense. It's sort of in one of these, if not now, then when type games, especially for the ground game. I, I got to think that Kevin Harris explodes because it's just not been there for him. Those running lanes have not been particularly good. And part of that is definitely on the offensive line, of course. Part of it is just on the fact that South Carolina doesn't really have a whole lot of guys that can stretch the field and, and make you think that they can they can stretch, you know, stretch you out vertically with Luke Doty at quarterback. So I would think Kevin Harris would go off, but then again, maybe not. Because Troy's run defense, number 24 in FBS. Scoring defense, number 16 in the country, albeit against lesser competition. Unless South Carolina hits on some deep shots early, I would assume that Troy's gonna load the box. We're gonna see seven, eight defenders in the box throughout the entire game. And how does South Carolina respond? How does Shane Beamer respond after, let's be honest, the honeymoon phase kind of came to an end this past week. Fans were critical of him. They didn't like the fact that he kicked it deep with a couple minutes left in that one. Didn't like the fact that they weren't able to convert off any of those four turnovers. Not a single point off those four turnovers. That just can't happen in the SEC. I think South Carolina plays a more complete game. 24 to 10, cover, but they still don't hit 31 points. Connor, I have a question for you. Would you consider Shane Beamer an offensive or a defensive head coach? So he is a hybrid. He is absolutely a hybrid. I would probably lean more offensive because that's what he has done more recently. That's what he specialized in a little bit more while he was at Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. But that was kind of the thing that worked in his favor in, in some ways is that he wasn't just gonna come in and be this, this play caller. Marcus Satterfield was gonna get those duties and he was going to be the guy that was going to oversee everything and he can plug a lot of different holes. Hey, you're having issues on special teams. Oh, I was a special teams coach. Oh, hey, your tight ends aren't getting production here. I was a tight ends coach. I've done all these different things. I've been a recruiting coordinator. I've done this, I've done this. He's the guy that's got pretty much everything on his resume except coordinator and head coach. Yeah, I'm looking at his resume. This man has coached uh, corners, running backs, offensive line, corners, wide yeah. receivers. He was a wide receiver slash long snapper as a player. So like this dude. Yes, he was. We got into that when he came yeah. on when he came on the pod. So like the art of long snapping. That's like yeah. what I'm trying to figure out because like we can kind of like you can kind of put SEC coaches into like little kingdoms. It's like these guys are like this. These guys are like it's like. And I was thinking about that. It's like well, Muschamp was a defensive coach. That doesn't really make sense. It's like which Beamer? It's like. Little bit of everything. He's a gumbo is what he is. Yeah. He's a little walking gumbo, isn't he? He's a renaissance man. Yep. He's a college football renaissance man. And, and the, the people that he's learned from, that, that's part of it too. If you, if you go back and look at the coaches that he's worked under with Lincoln Riley, Kirby Smart, Sylvester Croom, Philip Fulmer, oh, his dad, by the way, like Spurrier. I mean, the list is incredible and he's going to be able to write a great book one day about it. But now, the, the, these are these moments when you're, you're going to really see the true identity of him. You lost a game that many people felt was winnable. You have a very winnable game at home against Troy. If you're going to a bowl game this year, if you're gonna be those things that you've been talking about, this is the one that you gotta go out and get. Hopefully we see, what about so South Carolina wins. Troy losing. Anyway. You'll never forget 2017, will you? Never in my life. I don't blame you, man. I don't blame you. Let's go to the Maroon Bowl. Mississippi State on the road, number 15, Texas A&M. A&M seven and a half point favorite. Got the hook on that one. The over under I have 100 combined pass attempts. Only slightly kidding. <laughs> That's a big number. But think about this. Will Rogers threw 62 times last week, 67 times the week before that. I would expect 60 plus times again. That's just the way that the offense has worked for Leach. 
especially at Mississippi State, even though A&M secondary, I really wouldn't want to take a whole lot of chances on that. And A&M can get home with Leal, PV, and Clemens up front. So that's kind of a scary thought on the Mississippi State side. That's why on paper, this could be a bad matchup for Mississippi State against a pissed off A&M defense. If that's the case, we're, we're gonna probably find out in the first quarter just what this A&M group is capable of coming off of the Arkansas loss. But then I'm also thinking, how can I have any confidence whatsoever in the Aggies to string together touchdown drives? You can't, you, you just can't. And I don't even know if, if Mississippi State's gonna have Emmanuel Forbes back. He had that nasty collision late in the LSU game, a bit of that friendly fire. Leach said, we're always all available when asked about Forbes's availability. So take that for what it is. That means absolutely nothing to me. Um, not an injury guy, doesn't like to speak on those, but whatever the case, I still worry about Zach Calzada against Zach Arnett's defense because also Barry Odom just provided the blueprint. It's right there. A blueprint game is very dangerous, especially when there's limited film on a, on a starting quarterback. And if you get greedy, if you get really greedy against Mississippi State, you're going to pay. NC State, perfect example of that. Tim Beck, the guy who somehow keeps getting jobs, got greedy against Mississippi <laughs> State. Bad hey, he's idea. having the best week of his career right now. We can't slander Tim Beck. He just beat Clemson. <laughs> right? And I went last week I kept saying, hey, AM needs to be willing to stretch the field more. They need to be willing to take some of these downfield chances. I actually don't know if that's the best way to beat Mississippi State. I kind of think it's not. So how do you adjust? If you're Daryl Dickey, if you're Jimbo Fisher, you have to figure out ways to get these throwing windows bigger. It's your job to be able to scheme. You have the talent. It's there. It's not lacking. Now is when we really got to see that sort of payoff. So I wouldn't expect a whole lot of points here. The over-under for this one's 45 and a half. Ugh, gonna be a little bit different than Ole Miss Bama. Just a hunch, I think. But I do think that AM gets a non-offensive touchdown to win, but Mississippi State covers. So I'm hedging a little bit here. I'm gonna take AM to win 21 to 17. I wanna I want to, I wanna say something about Jimbo, but will. When you hear that prediction, what's kind of your, your initial reaction? I just, man, if they replicate that game plan from last week against the 3-3-5 defense, I mean, we gotta get the we gotta get the torches and pitchforks now for Jimbo, right? Like that is they can't do that again. That's this is a defense that's only like built to stop that. It's it's a defensive alignment that Arkansas basically had to adjust to run a version of, and they that's their base pretty much. So I don't know, man. I mean, if they each kind of do what they did last week. These running backs are going to be on the sideline just playing rock, paper, scissors. Like, if you're A&M, oh, you can't, you can't, you can't. Like, you have so much more talent than this Mississippi State team, which is in, you know, year two with COVID and everything, of turning over this roster and getting their guys in there. They should just be able to show up angry and push them around. And if they do a similar game plan to last week, I just, I got no answers. Because it's one thing to try to, to try to pull one over on old Arkansas. But if you see that and it doesn't work and you're going into a Mississippi State team that literally wants to play that style on both sides of the ball. I, I mean, I don't know, man. I feel like based on what I saw last week in Mississippi State and the amount of miscues they had, I feel like AM should run over them, just to be honest with you. And if they don't, I hate to do the whole like they better and the, if they don't, I'm gonna be mad, but I'm gonna be mad if they don't run over Mississippi State. Like this should be a game where AM gets finds their identity because if they don't find it against this team, they're in trouble. Exactly, exactly. That's the point that I wanted to bring up. 
This would be a brutal, brutal loss for Jimbo because Bama comes to town next week. We've had October 9th circled on our calendars for a long time. And in a few short weeks, it'd be a really tough look in that market with what you're making to go from being a top five team to potentially 0-3 in the SEC. Again, they're, they're only 0-1 right now, so nobody's jumping the gun or anything like that. And at the same time, on the other side, for Mike Leach, trying to avoid that three-game losing streak, Leach loses this game, six and ten at Mississippi State. Joe Moorhead went fourteen and twelve, and he got the boot after year two. Just saying. The Joe Moorhead take is, is creeping back up, like the Malik Willis take. The stock up is is stock is up for Joe Moorhead. It'll never die. It'll never die. All right, game of the week. Let's get to it. UConn and Vandy. Yes, sir. I'm so ready, bro. Vandy's a 14 and a half point favorite. The over under I have, let's, let me repeat that because I breezed over that way too quickly. Vanderbilt is a 14 and a half point favorite. You did not hear that wrong. Vanderbilt's 14 and a half point favorite. The over under I have, seven and a half turnovers. Over might hit, wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I would love that. If the over hits in that game, I am glued to that game, buddy. Every once in a while, we get these little gifts in life. Phones that make most cameras obsolete, drive throughs at restaurants, indoor plumbing, air conditioning, 24-hour sports channels, Hawaiian rolls. These are the little gifts that allow us to be able to get out of bed on a Monday morning and embrace all that lies ahead. We can wind down after a long work day, we can point to those things and say, ah, at least I have those comforts in life. We need those little things to pick us back up again. UConn Vandy is a gift from the college football gods. It's like that rom-com that you know the ending to in roughly, I don't know, five minutes. Or if you're a fan of the Hallmark movies, this is, this is that. Sometimes you just need to turn off your brain and wind down. This is the Hallmark night, movie of college football games. <laughs> I love that. Saturday night, we're gonna get that opportunity. We're getting it. Rarely do we see FBS teams at this stage both have double-digit losses um, to, or no. <laughs> Hold me, on now, Kyle, that. that math doesn't sound right. <laughs> no, no, no. They, do both, they, they do not have double-digit losses yet. We're not there. Let me rephrase. They both have lost by double digits to an FBS let me rephrase that a third time. We're gonna get this right, we're gonna get this right. Fitting, like we're talking about you kind of bandy that I would mess up all these and times. Homage. They, they both have lost by double digits to an FCS team at home. Both have not won a conference game in the 2020s. UConn, as a member of the American Athletic Conference, um, somewhat begrudgingly probably for the American, UConn has not won a conference game since 2017. Both have failed to finish inside the top 90 in FBS in scoring offense and scoring defense. Neither one of those things have happened since 2018. UConn has not done that in five years. Just one year where your defense is like 85th. No, no, no. Has happened in five years. Probably not happening this year either considering they're 0-5 and Randy Edsel's gone. But you know what? Something has to give on Saturday night on ESPNU. So watch this game, bet on this game, responsibly of course, sit back, relax, 
turn your brain off, watch that Hallmark movie, and watch Vandy cover 14 and a half. Will, you know you're going to be watching this one, aren't you? Oh, yes. You know, we laughed at Bob Diaco in the um, civil conflict back in the day. And we mustn't ever forget the civil conflict. If you don't know what that is, spend five minutes, look it up on YouTube right now, because it is one of the best sound bites. I, I, I'm not, I, I don't want to oversell this. It's one of the best sound bites of the last 10 years in college football. Mm-hmm. It, basically, they made up a rivalry with UCF that, that was George O'Leary's UCF, and, and they just didn't accept it. They were like, we're actually not your rival. Get out of here. And uh, they were right. And what if, I, <laughs> what if I told you that the civil conflict was the high point, and it would only go down from there? Because where UConn is at right now, they would be killing to have Bob Diaco back. Uh, that is... Uh, it's just something, you know, I, I feel like we talked about HGTV shows. I would love to have an HGTV show where we get like the AD of like a Alabama or Ohio State or like one of these real, like Florida prestige universities that are good at multiple sports and we just stick them at UConn for like a month. And we're like, all right, you got to fix the basketball team, the football team, the women's basketball team actually probably needs a little pick me up too. You just, you got to do a whole renovation here and we could just do little interviews. It's like, all right, well, first off, we're going to get new facilities. We're going to do X, Y, Z. It's, it's crazy. What's up? Okay, I like that idea. Pivot off that idea. We just get Gino Oriema to to coach every single team. <laughs> just the games, just the games. You can have your assistants do all the practices, all the boring stuff. Get them on Zoom. Have them up in, in, in the press box, whatever. Um, Hugh Freeze in the hospital bed, whatever. Find a way to get Gino Oriema in the stadium, on the field, on the court for, for any non-women's basketball sport that UConn has and let him just spew out these cliches, whatever he needs to do to get a team fired up and motivated. It doesn't matter what sport it is. Oh yeah. I think the matter. best thing they got going. But just, yeah, I mean, I let him do it. You know me. I can, you know, I can roast a lot of people, and I try to refrain from those podcasts because I like to be respectful to SEC fan bases. It is hilarious to me that UConn has numerous women's basketball titles. They have a, you know, honestly, numerous men's basketball titles that we can remember, uh, and they have New Year's Six bowls. And you look at this just whole athletic program, and it's like. How did you let yourself go like this, man? It's like that scene at the end of Dodgeball where White Goodman is just sitting there and he's like stuffing like food down his face. It's like, what happened to you, dog? (laughs) Anyway, that's my take on UConn Vandy. Don't really care who wins. Hope it's fun. Hope we all have a great degenerate time. Just, Just enjoying the sport we love so much. I don't know the answer to this question, but did we spend the most time talking about UConn and Vandy um, compared to any other college football podcast? I want to I want to claim that. <laughs> let's let that in our back pocket. I, I hope we did. Man, there's so there's, there's somebody that did an entire podcast on that. Yeah. At least I would hope it deserves it. All right, let's talk about the one that you're very fired up for: the Tiger Bowl on Saturday night in Death Valley, number 24 Auburn. On the road, LSU is a three and a half point favorite. The over-under I have, tricky, 10 TJ Finley pass attempts. See, that's interesting because we don't know at the time of this recording who's going to start officially. Knowing Brian Harson, he's not revealing that until somebody, until the, the opening snap or something like that. It's gonna be Ohio State at Virginia Tech 2015 all over again where they go in the huddle and like even Cardell Jones and JT Barrett don't know who's gonna start in the game, and then they just send one of them out there, probably wouldn't surprise me to see that. Harson, being the trained football coach robot that he is, he spit out a non-answer 
Not when he was asked about who the starter would be. Of course, you're going to play it coy. We, we gave Shane Beamer praise for playing it coy, and we're like, yeah, he doesn't really have any reason to reveal that. But he was asked about when he'd like to be able to name a starter. And then he gave an answer that was, that's not how any of this works. And then he talked about the need for everyone to go and get better. Harson's version of getting better included firing his receivers coach. Yes. Adios, Cornelius Williams. Thanks for those four games. You weren't the guy, apparently. That solved all, all the Auburn's problems. And next time, make sure that the receivers coach that you hire can coach up your linemen and allow them to play better in the trenches. I think Brian Harson's going to make that a part of the interview process. Very important. Everybody knows that. Weird week for Auburn. Really weird week. I, I, Oddly, though, at the same time, kind of a quiet week for LSU. Considering the last year and a half. Breaking a, like, 152-week period of something going wrong every week. <laughs> right? The most, the most newsworthy thing that we had from the LSU side this week was John Emery is ruled ineligible by the NCAA. His appeal did not work. Again. Prepared. Kind of meh on the LSU ground game. I don't really think it's changing anytime soon at this point. If you're not going to block, don't really know what that matters. Do I think, though that after the week that Auburn has had, with all these questions and after what we just saw against Georgia State, and again, it doesn't guarantee that they're gonna play exactly like that. I would not expect them to play the way that they did it against Georgia State against LSU. But do I think that this is going to be the first Auburn team to win at LSU this century? Nope, I do not. I think even if TJ Finley starts and even if LSU's ground game is still horrendous, Max Johnson's going to make plays in this game. Auburn can't really get pressure on the quarterback. Sean Clifford looked like he was kind of picking that group apart. Sean Clifford's got some issues, the Penn State quarterback. Not that good. Completed a lot of passes. And the only time that he actually threw an interception was when he finally got pressured in that game. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to do that if you're going to be able to beat Max Johnson because he's going to keep slinging. He's going to keep his eyes downfield. That's what he's going to do. I think he should be set up pretty well in, in this game. You know what we haven't had this year, and, and, and I'm, I'm saying this just kind of randomly, I don't know that this is going to happen because we don't even know if this guy's going to play. We haven't had a big Derek Stingley moment. Tackle for loss is one thing. Did that against UCLA, cool. All right, you're, you're kind of like, all right, he's back. You know, he's getting back to his freshman year self. I realize he's been hurt, he's dealing with a foot injury, so his status is totally up in the air. He's seeing another doctor this week. But I'd like to see Stingley make one of those game-changing interceptions like he made two years ago in this game. We were there for that. Mm -hmm. And you just see that's what an All-American looks like. He had, a, he had the muff punt in that game that he responds with that interception going up. Bo Nix throws it up there. Seth Williams, go get it. No, Derek Stingley, go get it. I kind of want to see one of those plays where we just go, Oh yeah, that's why we thought he was the best defensive player in America coming into 2021. Regardless of if that happens, give me LSU to cover at home. Will, tell me this, because I am not a fan of a team who dominates a rivalry at home. We don't need any more bear slanders on this, pod on this <laughs> podcast. We, we have that at its time and place. But do you get worried for Auburn or is it really kind of a year to year thing? Um. That's the thing about Auburn, man. I have always said, you know, I'm on record numerous times, you never discount Auburn, no matter what you have going on in your life. You know, that's the thing about this rivalry that I love so much and cherish. It's that, you know, LSU beat Auburn in 2013. 
LSU beat Auburn in 2017. <laughs> LSU has found a way to just beat these scary Auburn teams. And then, you know, bad Auburn teams have found a way to just kind of creep in and, and beat LSU. So, I don't know. I, also true. I will say that, like, th- this is low-key, low-key, maybe my favorite rivalry because there's a very small amount of trash talk. I love Auburn fans. I told you about one of my favorite games I've ever been to was the Cam Newton um uh, Patrick Peterson game. Those Patrick people Peterson have, have yeah. never been anything but nice to me, Auburn fans. And, and I, I genuinely enjoy this rivalry. I, I never want to discount Auburn because you never know. I'll say this about Auburn's just whole coaching staff, man. You could sit there. I could talk to two people sitting next to each other. One could paint me a picture of Auburn's coaching staff where I'm like all the way bought in. And then the other guy could paint me a totally different picture where it's like this guy is in over his head. You, know, you talked about um, the receivers coach. It's just... It's a week-to-week thing because they started off playing two really sorry teams, and we were like, oh, okay, like, new Bo Nix looks like he's kind of figuring it out. The Penn State game, like we talked about, you know, their offense was fine, you know, when you factor in all the elements going up to Pennsylvania. Then last week, <laughs> and that's just life as an Auburn fan, isn't it? It's just you think you're great, and then you're suddenly bad, and you think you're bad, and you're great. That's why I don't want to discount this Auburn team, because we've seen Auburn teams look so downtrodden and bad and just show up and just smoke Georgia. <laughs> we've seen them, you know, look uh, look like they're about to fire their coach numerous times and then just respond over the last, you know, over the entire Miles on era. So, I don't know. I, I think that this is going to be a fun game. I do think that, yeah, hopefully we get a big game out of Max Johnson. Max Johnson is a guy that... Is so he's getting underrated because he just doesn't have arm strength. Honestly, we were joking about that. I was like, we need to get him on steroids, and then you were like, actually, like you said, we need like a biomechanics expert. A biomechanics, but, guy. yeah, because he's yeah. jacked. Like he hopefully will figure that part of his game out because if he adds that deep ball, he's tough, he's mobile, he's all these different things. This offensive line is still pretty terrible. Um, I'll say it every time I can because I don't want anyone to think I don't think it ever. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I would. Man, three and a half is just so so small. I I would give it to LSU, and I hope they cover that. You know, last week was the, supposed to be the oh, well, this is the coach O coaching for his job game. Coming off of a Georgia State game that we saw with Auburn and, and um, TJ Finley, they can't be worse than that. They just can't. Be. I, exactly, exactly. Like hopefully, if Harrison is this guy that we you know hope he is in the SEC, that he's like this really like you know burn the boats. Let's all get on one team. Carson, yeah. It's us versus you know it's us versus the world. This might be the one that. They come out and look good. So I don't know. But I, I would personally pick LSU. It's the first time on this podcast I've said anything positive about picking LSU. So we'll see how that goes. I think LSU wins as well. And I think that Brian Harson, if he's able to come out with a win this week, all of a sudden that, that entire weird week is just kind of a thing of the past. But winner at LSU at night, full capacity stadium, different beast. It'll be quite the challenge. Number 12, Ole Miss. Number one, Alabama. Bama's a 14.5 point favorite. The over-under, 0.5 minutes that Michael Wilbon watches this game. <laughs> Wasn't prepared for that. Did you see that clip? Did I, I hope everybody listening to this has seen the clip. Michael Wilbon, who, part, pardon the interruption, has been, you know, he's been in this business for roughly half a century. He gave the most outdated Lane Kiffin take that I have ever heard when breaking down this game. He said that Lane's been an embarrassment everywhere he's gone, and nobody wants Lane representing their program. All right. Someone wake up Michael Wilbon, tell them tell him that it's not 2013 anymore, or tell him that when he's done watching Northwestern score six points and punt the ball in plus territory to go flip on an old miss game. 
just tell them, just, you know, give, shoot them a little message. This game's at 3.30, plenty of time. Plenty of time to be able to watch that. Northwestern's gonna be, you know, noon kickoff, noon on the East Coast for him. Um, Anyway, Wilbon just gave Alabama this podcast. Someone really has to upset you for you to just slander Northwestern like that. <laughs> Listen, Northwestern childhood memories there. When I think back to like very first time ever being at a college football game, it is at Northwestern. But come on, let's probably way let's less fun than this Ole Miss team is the point we're making. Uh, yeah, yeah. Needless to say, that's a little bit of rat poison for Alabama. For Wilbon to come out that way because I don't know if you saw the Kiffin response as well. <laughs> He's like, lazy take, just picking the favorite to win that game. Yep. Kiffin's gotten really good at these responses of like kind of diffusing in a funny way, but also not like creating any sort of bulletin board material at the same time. He doesn't really do that anymore. And if Wilbon had been paying attention the last you know decade or so, he would have been able to see that. Anyway, one of my favorite matchups of the year. I think outside of my my son, my adopted son, that is Malik Willis, um, Matt Corral, Bryce Young, favorite two quarterbacks to watch in college football. What both of them do so, so well is they dare teams to cover their receivers for six seconds. No third down is ever too long. They can make any throw and they're both tough as hell. That's what I like about them. This isn't like a Heisman or bust type of game, even though it is part of it. They're one, two in Heisman odds right now, but the Heisman's never decided in early October. I mean, the guys who were one, two in the Heisman last year were Mac Jones and Kyle Trask. They played in the SEC championship. They played in a shootout, and that still didn't even decide the Heisman because Devontae Smith ended up winning it. So anybody that's going to tell you the Heisman's wrapped up in early October, just kind of laugh them off. It's not. It never is. What both of these fan bases actually care about is that this means a lot in the SEC West. And Bama fans... Correct me if I'm wrong here. I think Bama fans might fear Ole Miss more than Georgia. Weird to say. Oh, Weird yeah. Weird to say. Oh, yeah. Maybe 2014, 2015 still linger in the back of their minds. A little bit scarred from that. I, they'll always have that little sense of like, ah, oh, you just never know. If they catch fire on that specific day. Or maybe it's as simple as knowing how much firepower is back on that offense after what we saw in this game last year. To me, the biggest decider in this game, the improvement of the Ole Miss defense. If it really is capable of just reaching levels of mediocrity, as we have said many a time, just flirt with mediocrity. You don't have to be mediocre the entire time. Just flirt with mediocrity. Then Bama won't hit half 100. Bama won't have these big time chunk plays. Bama won't have guys running free with 10 yards of separation downfield, making everyone question if defense is dead in college football. That was the case last year. If Ole Miss is actually improved, we'll see the difference in a game like this. This game will tell us more than the previous three about the Ole Miss defense because, Will, as you said, there is no ceiling on the Ole Miss offense. Mm -hmm. There's not. They can beat you in so many ways. It is no longer, hey, drop eight in coverage. Matt Corral is going to force throws. No, it's not that. For all we know, Lane is going to come out and run the ball 12 consecutive plays to start the game. That would be the most Lane move possible for this. I reference this a lot, but it's always on my mind when I think about the brilliance of Lane as a play caller. Mike Wilbon missed this game because it was in 2015. Um, but that, that playoff game, Bama, Michigan State, 2015, Derrick Henry had just won the Heisman Trophy, and he's having this 2,000-yard season. He averaged 45 carries in the previous two games going into the playoff semifinal. So what does Lane do? He throws. Aired it out. And it worked. Yep. And Jay Coker was awesome that game. 
Derrick Henry only got 20 carries, which for him, even in his by his workload, you know, like what what we value his workload today in the NFL, that's nothing. You know, that that is pennies for him. So watch Lane do the exact opposite of what everyone's talking about. Everyone's talking about Matt Corral, Heisman Trophy. Watch Ole Miss run the ball the first 10, 12 plays, something like that. They're averaging 299 rushing yards per game. Florida is the only non-service academy with a better rushing attack so far. Let's see the Jerry and Ely Snoop Connor show. They've really been managing Ely's workload as well, coming off of that, that shoulder injury. If you remember at SEC Media Days, it was a question about Ely's shoulder injury when Lane gave that quizzical look, and then he said, sorry, I, I can't stop thinking about that Bryce Young NIL number, <laughs> which is just so peak Lane in that moment. Look, you can't take the under in this game. You can't. You're a communist if you do that, just straight up. <laughs> you you don't like fun if you take the under in this game. I don't care that it's 79 and a half. I realize that's a stupid Big 12 type number. That is Pat Mahomes, Baker Mayfield type number from back in the day. I think Ole Miss covers, but I can't pick against Bama to win. I think this is more of like a 45 to 38 type of game. So the over hits, but I, I think we see Bama finally able to run the 12 personnel that Bill O'Brien had in mind. And his tight ends have massive days. Latu and Billingsley, both touchdowns in this game. Ole Miss hasn't faced a quarterback who can work through his progressions like Bryce Young. I think he makes enough plays to fend off Matt Corral. Saban improves 24-0 against his disciples. Will, that was a lot far away. Yeah, man. <clears throat> well, first off on the Wilbon thing, it's very funny that he was saying he's been an embarrassment everywhere he's been, speaking on two teams that he's represented them. That's kind of funny because even Bama fans, I feel like, have a pretty positive outlook on Lane Kiffin. He did a ton for them when you go back to the Mark Cooper years. Like you said, um, the Derrick Henry years. Like they had. That was the one thing that blew my mind about him uh, as an offensive coordinator is that he was able to totally flip that offense on its head. Every single year he was there. I've never seen a better resume ever as an offensive coordinator than the years he put together at Alabama. Um, man, I literally said in this very same podcast, I don't like to doubt Alabama. I would really like to pick Ole Miss to win this game. I really would. Bama has looked kind of vulnerable this year, but I know that, you know, like I said, I've done enough, I feel like, on here to not get Bama fans to dislike me, and I don't want to pick this game and then be wrong to say this is going to be the one that they lose. Uh Gosh, I want I, I if I could pick other than obviously LSU, if I could pick a team to beat Bama, it would be this Ole Miss team. They're so fun. They have the firepower. They have probably the best. I mean, pretty clearly the best quarterback in the SEC. I feel like that, that's a pretty at this point a pretty given statement that Corral is the guy. Um, yeah, I I I'm a coward, so I'm gonna say the same thing you did. I'm gonna be angry at myself for it. We have another one of these things that I should have been more bold. We talked about Arkansas, Texas, and then I feel like Arkansas A and then we kinda of corrected and went back to it. But if I'm wrong about this, I'm I'm just gonna be ignorant the rest of the year. So I'm gonna pick Alabama <laughs> I'm gonna pick Alabama to win. Um, yeah, I, I don't see them covering that. I feel like hopefully we could all dream this is a one possession game at the end and it's just it's a big spread. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I do feel like it's a little bit disrespectful. And it's one of those things about, we said there's no ceiling on the offense. That's a great way to put it. If that's truly the case, 14 and a half is pretty disrespectful because that is essentially three possessions. I mean, you could go for two, you know what I'm saying? But if they're really there, this is the big prove-it game for Lane. He has enough, as we've seen. I, I really, I want to pick them, but I'm a coward. And Kiffin knows, Kiffin knows the 14 and a half. Yep. Kevin's going to make sure he's going to cover. Yep. 
if they're down 21 at the end and you're like, why is Matt Corral still playing when there's 30 seconds left? Remember that Kiffin knows the spread yep. in this one. <laughs> Keep that in mind as well. There will be definitely a, a push for that. Great game, though. Cannot wait for this one. One of the games of the year in the SEC, in all of college football. Not just the lane saving dynamic, but just these two offenses are just so fun. So, so pumped for this. Lock of the week. Oh, boy. I couldn't resist that fishy Colorado State-Iowa line, and it bit me. So we are at 3-2. and two. Lock of the week isn't dead. Just had a little bit of a setback. Mm-hmm. You should already know where I'm going with this one. I, I have tipped my hand on this for months. Cincinnati, Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Bearcats are favored by two and a half points, and I'm still calling my shot. Still calling it. I loved that the Irish stomped Wisconsin ahead of Cincinnati. At least that's what the scoreboard said. Really, they forced some turnovers. You could look at the total yardage numbers and say, yeah, maybe a little bit closer, whatever. Bearcats are going to dominate Jack Cohn. He's been banged up to start the year, left that Wisconsin game, is expected to start, but not a guarantee. Either way, healthy Jack Cohn, don't care. Give me Desmond Ritter all day. Give me Jerome Ford, the former Alabama running back. He's going to get chunk plays in this one. Give me my Jay Sanders wreaking havoc in the backfield. Sauce Gardner, the best name in college football. Oh, yeah. Multiple interceptions in this game. Cincinnati, number two in FBS, forcing turnovers at three a game. Bearcats win this one and they move into the AP top five. And everything I've been saying about Cincinnati going to the playoff, everybody starts talking about it after they go into South Bend and win. All right, let's go to my interviews. Grant Morgan, N'Kobe Dean, great to have Grant back on. He may or may not have said nicer things about Jimbo than I did on Sunday, but it was fun catching up with him because you can tell how much he's really soaking all of this in and what this means to him. And Nicobe was excellent as well. First time we've been able to get an active Georgia player on. Mm-hmm. So glad that we were able to, to set that up, especially ahead of a top 10 showdown on Saturday. We've got both sides covered for y'all. So first, Grant Morgan, then Nicobe Dean. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest, a repeat guest. It is Arkansas linebacker, Grant Morgan. Grant, First question is an obvious one. How does it feel to own the state of Texas? <laughs> um, it, it feels great. It feels great to be 4-0, um, especially 1-0 in SEC. So to be able to beat the three Texas teams and be able to have that even that statement that we can say we own Texas, it's, it's all joking matter, but like it's, it's awesome. It's a great feeling. It means we have a good team. It means we've beaten really good teams to be able to get there. So uh, it, it means a lot. Oh crap, I forgot about Rice too. I was just thinking hey, I'm in Texas, but that's that's a good point. You got three of them right there. I mean, you're so old that you were there when Arkansas had the double overtime win at TCU as well. I mean, I know redshirt year for you, but having been there for all of those A&M losses, how different did that one hit on Saturday? That one, that one hit a lot. Um, it really... It didn't hit me until whenever we were going to take a knee and it was realizing, like, oh, my gosh, like, this is the first win I've ever gotten in Dallas Cowboys Stadium. Like, when we were hugging everybody, like, it was like we did it. We did something that no one thought we were going to do. They were a top-10 team. So, like, it really did mean a lot to see the fans and see everybody just so happy because it was like a, like a weight was taken off our shoulder. Like, we did the impossible. Like, no one thought they were gonna, any Arkansas was going to ever beat A&M. So, uh, it's it's just really it's really a big win for all the guys who have been here throughout this time too. Did any of those thoughts creep into your mind 
on on Saturday. Those thoughts about look, we've we've been in this spot before. We've been ahead against A and M. We've had that fourth quarter lead. Does does that creep into your mind ever, or were, was there a moment on Saturday when you realized no no no, no this year this team this group of guys that we have is different? Yeah, um, it definitely creeps in my mind. We were up seventeen zero in the first quarter, second quarter, and. I'm sitting there going, listen, up to our defense, like, listen, guys, we've been in this spot where they couldn't move the ball. We've been it. We've been in it where we knew we were going to win the game, and they came back and won. Uh, so we have to be able to continue to go and be able to put the team on our back. The offense doesn't have to do anything for the rest of the game, and we have to win it for us. Uh, so, I, but the bad, the good thing in our end um, was. We, we knew what type of guys we were. We know what type of defense. This is the best defense I've ever been a part of, and we knew it, and we acted like it, and we played like it. So um, to, for our offense to only put up three points in the second half, that just shows right there, like, defense knew what their job was. Defense knew how, what we had to do to win, and it was to shut them down and to be able to say, listen, it's on us. Um, that's exactly what we did. We had a lot of guys at halftime talking about we don't, we don't have to rely on the offense at all anymore. This is all on our shoulders. So it was really good for our defense to be able to step up and go up to the challenge and be able to win it. You love that, don't you? I, I can just tell listening to your voice. It's almost it's this weird thing with a defensive player to know how much the game rides on you and you feel like you're, you're making open field tackles and you guys were one step ahead of A&M all day. But you, you kind of like that almost in a weird way when the offense shuts down and you know that it's just going to be on you to win a game. Yeah, for sure. I, I think any competitor really will like that with your, with your name being called and saying, listen, you have to win the game for us. I think that's huge. Um, that's why when you look at like the greats, like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, like you look at them when they're, when they have the ball and it doesn't matter if it's under a minute, like they, their name's called about winning the game or getting them down there in field goal range. That's what our defense is thriving on right now. Like we want to be able to put into a spot, say, listen, we have the lead. You have to be able to go shut the game out. So uh, that's that's what we thrive on. That's what we're we were so excited about being able to get a lead early and saying, "Listen, it's on us now." Um, so we've we've done really well this year about that. Um, we did it with Texas. We did it against Rice. We got the lead. So um, we were excited being in that same situation, knowing that we have we have the chance to win and it's on us. So uh, def- you can definitely hear my voice because I, I mean what I say when I say that. It's early, but with the exception of maybe, I don't know, like a quarter, you all have done pretty much everything that you set out to do so far. And, and I do want to get into more of it. But if, if I guess if there was another blemish, it was the first half against Rice where you get called for targeting. And I just cannot imagine what it was like to play for the first time in nine months and then to get the hook like that so quickly. What was your mood standing on the sideline for the second half of that game? Yeah, um, it, it's the targeting call alone is ridiculous. So I won't get into that. But uh, no, please do. <laughs> that, no, yeah. So I don't think anyone should be able to be ejected for on their first case of targeting, especially in something like how mine was, where it was he fell into it. Um, I might have hit his head. I might not have. I turned my head out of the way. Um, but I don't think anyone should be able to be ejected. I think it should be a really big penalty if you want to make it like a big, like a blemish or a big fault. Um, but I don't think anyone should be able to be ejected for that because like, you're not getting ejected for face masks and face masks can hurt people just as bad. You're not getting injected for horse collars and those just as bad, but you're getting ejected because you're having to make a split decision weighing 235 pounds, making a split decision because often guy makes a split decision and decides to drop down. Um, but I, I don't think you should be ejected to that. You can obviously tell my voice right there how I feel about that too. <laughs> um, but I, uh, 
it was a it was a shell shock. I did not. I played five plays. So when I played, it was my six plays where I got a targeting, and I literally sat there on the sidelines and said, "This this isn't true. I'm going to be able to go back in the next series." And they take my helmet away, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, "Okay." I look at Pitt and I look at our linebacker coach, Coach Shear, and I said, "Listen, I can sit here and be mad all I want, or I can go out here and help the team and be another coach on the sidelines." So that's exactly what I did. Um, in the second half, I got all undressed and I literally got on, put on my coaching shoes on, pretty much. So. I went and just coach as good as I can and try to get those next guys ready to go and be able to play just as good as they can. So um, it was a struggle at first because that was our little blemish. The first half of Rice, um, we, we were down going into the halftime and we did not, we expected to be up big. So um, every game is going to have adversity. Ours was on mine getting targeting and then us being down. And we responded to that really well. It's the first game. Uh, we, did, we knew there was going to be some uh, adversity. We just didn't know it was going to be like that. So we were excited that, we could have adversity so early and be able to handle it and know what our team can do and handle it going on throughout the season. And yeah, it is early. Uh, we're going to have many more adversity times, but to be able to go and see that early in the first game, it shows you, you can grow. And then the step that we took going in the second week, I think that's where you see how well coaching staff and how well the team you have is the growth from first week to second week. Um, because that's, that's genuinely what it's all about is learning from your snakes and going, making it better. Well, let's talk about that that second week, the Texas game. When was the moment that you knew that they weren't going to be able to stay on the same field as y'all? Um, my confidence side, uh, it was after the first series when we knew exactly what they were going to do and we knew how they were doing it and how they played. Um, I would say it was the first or second series. I wanted to say they weren't going to be able to stay on the same field as us. Um, but at halftime when we were up and I saw everyone's faces, and I saw how mad and pissed off they still were, and we were up however many points then. I knew exactly right then we were winning the game no matter what because everyone was not satisfied with the lead against him because they knew what would just happen the week before of us being down. They they knew what we had to do to come out in the second half and be able to keep scoring points and to keep shutting them down offensively. So um, at, at halftime is when I was so solidified knowing that we were going to win. Wait, wait a minute. Back up here. Your team was pissed at halftime of that game after the start that you guys got out to? We did. We were, we were sitting in halftime, and I gave a little speech and said, listen, guys, we didn't come here to play a half. We didn't come here to play a half at all. And they were all like, no, we came here to physically like, abuse them and win for a whole four quarters, and that's what we're going to do. So um, that's what we set out to do the whole game. We knew – um, this is SEC football, and we obviously had a little chip on our shoulder. They wanted to join the SEC, and we were supposedly laughing stock of SEC last couple of years. And we want to show them like this, and this isn't no, this isn't the Arkansas y'all saw on film from last year, or two years ago. This is this is a whole new Arkansas. We're ready to hit people, and we're ready to continue to do it for four quarters. So uh, that's what we did, and we uh, we came in at halftime. Everyone's pissed off. Everyone say, listen, we're we still got more playing to do. We're ready to keep going. We're excited to get back out there and start beating them. So. Uh, it's what we did. We, we were all pissed all halftime. I love it. We get so caught up in talking about the playoff, and and when people say the sport is doomed because of you know the the lack of uh, of new teams in the field and all that stuff, I point to games like that because that place looked insane, and you could tell how much buildup there was watching that. I kept thinking about someone like you, who, as Sam Pittman says, you are Arkansas. Having been there for this entire journey, was there a story or an interaction from that? night that you'll always remember like did Justin Moore or John Daly like give you a hug in the post game scrum or something like that um you're saying after Texas yeah after Texas yeah um I really I I I was given so many high fives and hugs and stuff after that game but um there really wasn't I'll I'll tell you why 
I guess it makes it more of a point that this is Arkansas and like that was Arkansas. There was every size, shape, man, female, everybody that was out there on the field and it was everyone was happy. Everyone was celebrating. Like it was there was fourteen year olds that they've known Arkansas to only suck their whole lives pretty much. And then there was people who were fifteen, sixty out there on the field giving me high five saying, Thank you so much for coming back. Thank you so much for being Arkansas, what we're supposed to be. We're the top tier team. Like don't let everyone anyone ever tell you anything differently. Um and that's 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 kind of my story about it is literally like there wasn't like there, I'm sure there was famous people out there on there, but like it was just all Arkansans. It was exactly what it was. We're what we're supposed to be. There's just hardworking guys and girls that know exactly what we're supposed to be, and it was it was fun to be able to have that party out there on the field, and that's exactly what it was. I know you've got bigger things to worry about right now, but when things do settle down on the football career eventually and you've got a little bit of time, I, I'm going to call Dibs right now to team up with you to write your autobiography because you have lived this wild college football life. How long ago does 2016 feel for you? It, it honestly, I couldn't ever, I wouldn't have ever believed you if you told me I'd still be here playing football in 2021, um, coming in here as a freshman. Um, and the way I've been about it and way we went up and down and up and down and now we're realizing and real, like living up and up. So it, it's been a wild journey long. It's a long time, but like, I wouldn't want it any other way. I wouldn't want it to say I got drafted first round last year. Like the way we came back and wait, if I don't ever have another snap of football, I'm going to be happy at the things I've done so far this year and see Arkansas and see how happy we are. And to be able to play and play the way we are playing is it's meant so much to me to be able to say I came back and to help Arkansas get to this place and to be able to live it and be able to play with the guys that I'm playing with and play for the guys I'm playing for. Um, it really does mean a lot to me. And I, I could be happy for the rest of my life if we never achieve anything else. Club Dub has to feel like a lifetime ago. I'd say the, the jukebox has a bit more appeal currently with the Arkansas fan base, but your relationship with this program, it is a bit like a marriage in a unique way where Bielema's staff gave you a roster spot. Chad Morris's staff put you on scholarship. By the way, go back and watch the video of that, people listening to this at home. Excellent snap by you on the scholarship video. You need to <laughs> seriously consider some long snapping, emergency long snapper, add that to your, your list of duties. But now you're the, the face of a top 10 program with Sam Pittman. Was there ever a moment when you thought about leaving for another school or, or just kind of hanging it up and calling it a career? Um, I would say, yeah, there was a moment that I sat there and said, I could be doing this somewhere else. Um, but there was never no serious thought because I knew exactly what I came here for and what my purpose was. Um, I came here to be a hog. Um, I came here to play and I knew I could play. I came here to prove people wrong, um, but more importantly, prove myself right. And I wasn't going to let that go just because of a couple bumps in the road. Um, I had a lot of good mentors across the road or across my path to here at Arkansas with so many different coaches and so many different position coaches and DCs. I made good relations with all of them um, just because I know like life is more than just football. Life is more about relationships and loving and caring for people other than outside the sport. And um, whenever I got to meet so many great people that came through here and um, all personalities were all different, be able to relate to all of them and be able to be now where I am now with all the great coaches that I have, like this is, this is worth it. This is um, every doubt that I had in my head um, because I do have doubts. Every doubt that I had um, has been triumphed over for, uh, for what we've gotten through and what I've gotten through and what we're doing now. 
Everybody wants to know right now, what's this team's potential? I know it's one game at a time. You guys are just focused on Georgia. That in itself is a monumental test ahead. First true road game of the year for you guys. But what, what do you think this program is capable of this year? Um, I'm not big on predictions. Um, I've never, I've, I've been in the past before, but I learned my lesson, I guess. And I'm not big <laughs> on predictions. I don't want to. Um, but honestly, you go ask our opponents. Um, you can ask anybody who's seen us on film now. Like they can say, like they would say, we can do whatever we put we put our minds to do. Um, we have a really good defense, really good offense. Special teams really come alive. Um, we we have to be able to just focus on us. Um, we're playing Georgia this week. They're a really good team. Um, but if you ask them, they probably say we're a really good team too. So that's why we're excited to be able to play them and be able to have a great challenge and be able to see what we can do and see how we handle it and see how they handle us. So we're excited for it. Um, potentially being now we're talking we're in the top 10 right now and we're talking I saw a thing today that we're a New Year's Six Bowl team and I was like sitting there like we're not even bowl eligible and they're already talking about it and that's just something great for an Arkansas <laughs> fan to be able to talk about so it's it's just our potential is as high as you want to make it um, we the way we hold ourselves we want to be the best we want to be the best team in college football we want to be on top of the mountain and not the ones climbing and trying to take the people off we want to be that team on the mountain people are trying to get um, so we're excited to be able to be in this even situation where we're talking about our potential being the best of all time. So, or being the best of Arkansas. So, um, I'll leave it at that. You say your opponents ask them how they feel about you. Isaiah Spiller had some interesting comments. I'm not sure if you saw this the other day, but he said that Arkansas didn't stop us. We beat ourselves. It was penalties and we were the ones holding ourselves back. Did, did you have any thoughts? I'm not sure if you would, if you saw those comments, but it, if you did any thoughts on, on the, this belief that, that A&M only hurt themselves and you didn't stop them? Um, I, I have seen that. Um, I don't, I'm not going to comment on kind of what he's, what he's saying. He's saying they, we never stopped him. Um, I can tell you this. Um, we did our jobs. We did our jobs well, and we did our Very jobs good. the best part. And um, he had a good game, or he had a good game that he liked, I guess. Um, we had a good amount of TFLs. We had a good amount of sacks. We had a good amount of big plays on for our end. Um, so, um we came out um, the better team. They're a really good team, though. So I know that they have things that they, they're going to fix and be able to be a good team throughout the year. And that's what he's probably saying. Um, but I don't, I don't know where he was looking at, I guess. But that's all I can say. Grant, one last thing before I let you go. I know you're a busy man. You said a few months ago when you came on that uh, you told the story about how you called out two of Tennessee's plays at the line of scrimmage. Have you done that to anyone this year? And please tell me that it happened against Texas or Texas A&M. Yeah, it did. Um, <laughs> Texas, I did it against Texas. Texas A&M, Jim, Coach Fisher, Jimbo Fisher, he is a mastermind. Uh, we went into the game thinking every time the – tight end splits were inside or outside of tackle it was going to be run or pass and they changed it in the first series and I was calling out run plays and pass plays that we expected to see and it was the opposite so we literally flipped our whole motive and by the second half we were calling out some of the plays but it wasn't they're they're a team that they don't run a lot of repeat routes uh, so they just what they do is they they change everything week by week and that's what coach Fisher does a really good job of Texas we called out over their screen plays. I think one of the third down stops I had, uh, or the second down stops, they ran a screen to their inside receiver, and we called that out, and I made it before he even caught it pretty much. Um, and then um, Georgia Southern, uh, there was two or three plays where I literally look at the nickel, 
And I said, hey, they're about to run speed option to you. Go kill the quarterback. And Jaden Johnson, our younger guy, he did it, and I'm right there with him. And then the next one was Greg Brooks, our starting nickel, and he was right there and made a six-yard tackle for loss. And it was like that was one of the times I was like, okay, that was actually kind of cool. I called out both those plays. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, those are ones that stick out to me. That's awesome. I, I love hearing that. Grant, really, really appreciate the time, man. Best of luck this weekend and, and everything that you got going forward. Yeah, thanks for having me, Connor. It's always great talking to you. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Georgia linebacker, Nicobe Dean. Nicobe is joining us on behalf of the All-State AFCA Good Works team, which recognizes 22 college football players who show outstanding commitment to bettering their communities. All-State is pledging $1 million in NIL compensation. This package for the players and charities of you know, this player's 22-player roster is part of the All-State's commitment to create a more financially equitable future. Nicobe, this sounds awesome. Um, tell yeah. us about the, the fine work that you're doing with Allstate? You know, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud to be a part of the, uh, you know, the, all, uh, the AFC Allstate team, you know, um, and be a part of the, the $1 million players to us players and um, our, our nonprofit organizations of our choice. You know, it just shows um, the type of, type of uh, company and uh, they are. It's cool to see NIL use like this too, where you, you, everybody's kind of benefiting from this in this way. You know, everybody's talking about what are the what's the downside of NIL going to be, and this seems like a, a real positive. You capitalizing on this opportunity and getting to work with with Allstate, who is you know been able to do great work in college football that we know. But how, how cool is it to kind of see NIL used in this sort of way for for what seems to be the, the common good, a situation which everybody benefits from. Yeah, um, it's, it's definitely the upside part of it, all the NIL stuff. Um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of um, like even my teammates and uh, coaches before the season thought it'd be more uh, more of a distraction than it has been. But just um, for them, to give us the ability to to help us give back to the community. Uh, plus more, plus what we have already done. You know, it just you know speaks volume, and I thank them a lot. Huge showdown this Saturday against Arkansas. Top 10 matchup, college game day. Nicobe, Sam Pittman is a guy I'm guessing you got to know pretty well from your recruitment and the fact that he was at Georgia your freshman year. I know you faced him last year too, so it's not exactly like your first time seeing him. But right. did did your, you and your teammates kind of see this coming from the Arkansas side when he left? Tell me when he left uh, University of Georgia. When he left Georgia, did you see him turning Arkansas into what it is today? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, the, the, the type of coaches we have at Georgia, you know, I can see, I can see all of them potentially being a, a head coach one day. So, and, you know, the type of work we put in here, you know, if he, uh, he, if he brought that over there, then yeah, I seen, I seen him being able to turn that um, whole organization around. Uh, and he, he's done a good job with that program. How different is it watching film on them this year compared to last year? Because Kirby talked about that and said, this is not the same team that we saw last year in the opener. They're doing things differently. What's the biggest thing that stands out about the difference between 2021 Arkansas versus 2020 Arkansas? Oh, uh, the way they play. You know, um, just you can tell Coach Pitt, um, they, they, they playing for him. You know, you can tell they, he, didn't, he didn't basically change the standard over there. And brought um, a different new standard over there. So I feel like that's the biggest thing that stands out from the film. 
One of the things I asked Grant Morgan about um, was when he realized Texas wasn't going to be able to stay on the field as them, like stay on the same field. And they knew they were going to have that battle won up front, pretty much all over the field all day with you. I want to go back to that opener against Clemson because it seemed pretty clear for those of us watching at home that there was a, a one-sided battle that you guys were going to win from the moment you stepped on the field. When did you see that look in the eyes of the Clemson offensive line and maybe even DJ Uyunglele? When did you kind of see and sense that moment that they weren't going to be able to stop you? I wouldn't say that we, we sensed it at all. I feel like the way we went on the field and the way we attacked practice and attacked the whole week, we 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 went on a uh, the way we started the game was just how how we was gonna be have a relentless attack the whole game and then I feel like that we just um that that's, that's our mindset every time we go on the field just that we gonna do what we do we gonna execute at high level we gonna trust what the coaches got uh, and plan for us. That looked really fun. I mean, it, it, from from an outsider's perspective, those are the types of moments that when you commit to a program like Georgia, that, that's what you live for. You get to pin your ears back and, and just dominate. Was that the most fun that you have had playing football at any level? Uh, yeah, I can say, well, you know, it's always a blessing every time I get on, uh, I get on, I had the ability to get on the field and play ball definitely with uh, these boys that I call my brothers. So, you know, and being able to uh, win is, you know, it just makes everything fun. You know, the fun is in the winning. So uh, it was definitely one of the most fun moments I had in uh, my college career. Was there a moment from, from that game afterwards, an interaction that you had that, that, that kind of stood out, that kind of made you realize, all right, you know, you've been a part of some big teams at Georgia, obviously, and this is your third year there. But was there a moment afterwards where you kind of were, were looking around like, hey, this is, this is for real. This, this team, everything that we want is right in front of us. Um, I, I won't say me personally, you know, because I kind of, you know, uh, I take the win. Uh, you know, I take the win. Uh, I love, you know, I celebrate uh, that night or whatever. And then I'm on to the next. You know, I, I try to be one and zero every week. I don't try to make anything too big um, or too too big or too low. Try to keep everything neutral. You know, try just try to be one and zero every week. That's my big thing. You're, you're one of these guys who I struggle to find anything that you can – like, I, I say this in the nicest way possible. There's nothing that can really be used against you, and I mean that not just because of the great work that you're doing with Allstate, because of what you've been able to do on the field where you're just that guy who always seems like you're in the right place at the right time. You're also a super smart guy. Big brain, huge brain, engineering major, which my grandpa was an engineer. He raised 12 kids with it. So I always have a special place in my heart for the engineer majors in the world. But I say that because with that big brain of yours combined with your instincts, your get off speed, whatever you want to call it, you just live in the backfield. How soon before a play can you diagnose a protection and know that you're about to get a, a clean shot on a ball carrier? Yeah, it's always uh, tentative on what we see on film, you know. Um, throughout the week, we watch lots of film, lots of film by myself or uh, with coaches. Uh, I know Shuman, which is our linebacker coach, he always sends a, a lot of uh, things, formation people uh, line up in. So just just the preparation that they uh, they take us through and practice and um, post-practice, uh, you know, for us, uh, Georgia's a haze never in the barn. Even until the game is over, really, because we all we make a chase and everything throughout the game. So, uh, you know, the hay is never in the barn. So we always, you know, working to see 
what kind of formations they get in and everything like that. So I feel like that preparation helps me with uh helps me hone in on like everything, like my instincts and uh being able to play fast. Jordan Davis, another guy that probably helps you with those instincts. I love that guy and I just get to cover him and watch him on TV. You actually get to play behind him and watch him take on two or three guys. Doesn't really matter. Do you have a, a Jordan Davis story um, besides him recording his late night beats and eating a Swedish fish that kind of stands out? Uh, a Jordan Davis story, man. Uh, there's a lot of them. I can't even, can't even, I'm trying to just, you know, hang, uh, hone in on one of them. It's one thing to watch him take on four guys or something like that, but there, there's there's probably there's an instance of that that stands out. I know there is. I got it's not even football related. I got a Jordan Davis story though. So, Far away. Uh, on my um, on, I had took a visit up here. I think I was um, it was my in my senior year in high school. I took a visit up to Georgia, and I didn't know anybody. You know, I didn't know who Jordan Davis was. I didn't I didn't know uh, who Drake Fromm was. I just was taking a visit up to Georgia. Um, and and uh, we end up like being like paired with Jordan and them, and I seen him and he and I'm thinking like this this dude is huge. <laughs> I'm thinking like this is the biggest dude and he but he was just and they were just in their room just playing and dancing and everything and I'm like he's just like a big old like he's just a big like you can't like how can you not like love that guy you know what I'm saying like that's kind of how he is because he's just kind of like a big old play for. Uh, a playful man, you know what I'm saying? So that's, I guess they can, they can count as one of my stories, my first instance with him. When you see him, it, it's so noticeable how big he is too. Like there are very few human beings I think I've ever seen in my entire life with that size. And then you turn on the film and then you see the plays like what he did against UAB where he runs that down. Tell me what the reaction was like watching that on film when he chased that quarterback down, trying to get to the sideline and you see this 360 pound man be able to get the angle on a starting quarterback. I was uh I was on the sideline and seeing it. So yeah, it was uh it's definitely even like you could tell the the, the whole sideline was crazy. Even though the quarterback gained gained whatever many yards, we were still like we still had got uh turned just to see him just run and make that play, he was like, Oh, he was moving. So just to see players like that, you know, and seeing how big he is, it's not there's not too many people in the world I can just see now and then I can just be like Oh, he's huge. Like, it just – because I'm used to seeing him every day. Jordan Davis, Kirby in a race. Who wins? Joy. <laughs> Joy. <laughs> How long were you running? <laughs> uh, you can just leave it at the 40. But yeah, Joy. Yeah. I, another guy on your team who moves like uh, – human beings should not be able to move at his size. I haven't gotten an answer – to this through four games yet. So you're the perfect person to ask this to, but is Brock Bowers a human being? Man, he different. He definitely different. And he, he gonna, uh, I'm excited to see what he gonna do over his uh, years at Georgia. So, but he definitely different. And yes, he, uh, he moves. He won, he won the, uh, the guys that got crazy speed for somebody his size also. So yeah, he definitely different. I saw that 21 miles an hour he got clocked at during practice or something like for, for a tight end. And then you see it on that, on the long touchdown that he had. Can yeah. you beat Brock Bowers in a race? Maybe that's a better question. Can, can I beat Brock Bowers in a race? 
I don't know. We never raced. <laughs> we'll save that one. We'll save yeah. that one for later on. Yeah. Uh, you're getting Tyke Smith back. His first game at Georgia will be Saturday. Tell Georgia fans why they should be excited about him playing that that star position based on what you've been able to see from him so far. Oh, yeah. Um, no, Tyke has worked hard to get back him in right now, you know, from the foot injuries. Uh, they have both worked hard um, to get back. And, you know, they they find it being able to practice with us and getting to the and getting to the groove of things. You know, that uh, having them back would be a major uh, would help us in a major way. You know, I'm excited to see what uh, he how he'll help us and how he'll be able to contribute to the to the whole team and to the defense. You guys are getting healthier right now, aren't you? You guys are getting healthier right now, which is a weird thing to say because there are so many teams that you look across college football and they're dealing with depth issues here, depth issues there. It feels like Georgia as a whole, you're getting some of these guys back. I know it's still a little bit of wait and see. I'm getting Pickens back as well, but it kind of feels like right now you guys are healthier than where you were at in the fall. Is that a fair thing to say? I mean, you know, fall camp at the University of Georgia gets crazy. So, <laughs> yeah, so fall camp at University of Georgia is crazy. It's physical. You know? And one thing I always say is, is uh, they make practice way harder than the game. So, um, I would say that, yeah, getting the guys back is, you know, is great. And they're going to be a definite a help to the team, you know, and uh, help everybody get their legs on there. Kobe, this has been excellent. I want to get you out of here with five rapid-fire questions. Just first thing that comes to mind, does that work for you? Do it. All right, first one. What is your go-to Chick-fil-A order? Chick sandwich. We going spicy? We going oh, grilled? Regular, 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 regular chick sandwich. Number one. Can't mess with it. Oh, well, yeah, regular. It, it, it's 50 between regular and grilled. Chick-fil-A sauce every time? You doing Polynesian? No, no sauce. No sauce. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's a swerve. Waffle fries as well, I assume? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, second one, toughest non-Georgia running back in the SEC to tackle. Oh, in the SEC to tackle? <sighs> you know, there's good backs everywhere. Uh, Kentucky got some good backs. They had, they, yeah, definitely, out of last year, yeah, they got some good backs who went hard. But Chris Rodriguez. But then South Carolina got some good backs, too. Everybody got good backs in the SEC. <laughs> they all, they all, you know, you gotta, they all, you gotta be good to tackle the SEC. You gotta, you know, because they all got good backs. It's crazy. I don't want to get you in too much trouble here, but the toughest player on your team to tackle is who? And it doesn't just have to be a running back. It can be anybody. Oh, hands down, Donnell. <laughs> Donnell just, you know, you know, I ain't really got to tackle him much that we in practice, even though we throw it up, but. Of course, I have I have had to tackle him in uh, like uh, scrimmages and everything. Yeah, he 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 just took the tackle because of his size. Heads up, Arkansas fans. That's uh, that's going to be difficult to deal with this weekend. Um, JT Daniels got rid of the of the the stash. Are you a fan of the mustache? Should you bring it back or no? I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. You know, uh, as long as, as long as he uh, know what he got to do, my boy JT. Whatever he can, he can, he can get a mohawk if he wanted to. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. He kind of goes to the beat of his own drum. I can definitely see him doing something like that. Um, last one for you, and um, we kind of circled around this. I'm assuming the answer is yes, but after what I saw from him in the Peach Bowl, running away from the Gatorade cooler, could you beat Kirby Smart 
in a race. Good. Are we talking you're doing the backpedal thing after like Apollo Creed in Rocky three when he first races Rocky? Or are we talking like he might taste me if he's seated, but yeah, I think, <laughs> I think so. All right. We will make sure that doesn't get back to him. Nicole, uh, really appreciate the time. No, you're doing a lot of great things with all state. Continue doing what you're doing, man. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. What's my destiny, mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Fast food is the subject of today's Figuring It Out, a subject we've talked about here or there. And I figured, you know, we're in mid-season form right now. Why not discuss a little bit of food? Will, are you a big fast food guy? Um, I try not to be, but um, I am a chunk. So I do be, I do be eating some fast food. What a sentence. Tell, go tell the, the eight-year-old version of yourself that you would come on live airwaves and say that sentence one day. The most proud I could be of goal. myself. I'm here to tell you right now, eight-year-old me would be pumped. Yes, that's what we're here to do and figure it out. I want to do something that's been done before, but not necessarily with our audience. That is the Mount Rushmore of fast food restaurants. And to be clear, it can't be like, I guess it can be if you want. I I tried to stay away from the super local establishments, at least not for today's argument. I want it to be kind of relatable. Like I'd put Portillo's into a different category, but too many people would be like, cool, never heard of Portillo's. Don't know what that is which kind of defeats the whole purpose of this. A lot of Atlanta people, the varsity, Will, you and I have been there together. Delicious mm-hmm. burger that we had. Uh, regional fast food, a little bit different. So wanted to. Not, I didn't want to focus on that. If you wanted to focus on that, that's totally fine. And I left fast casual out of this. So what is fast casual? It's fast casual, is that me? <laughs> fast casual is Chipotle, Kidoba, um, probably excludes Waffle House as well. Like Waffle House isn't fast food. You wouldn't say that's fast food. Yeah, okay, so no, that's I, actually, you know what, that's a great term to know because that was exactly what I was gonna ask you. Fast casual is yes. word for that, okay. And it's it's a little bit diff, like difficult, there's a, it, it's tough to kind of separate that sometimes. Like I went back and forth on Culver's. Culver's is considered fast casual because a waiter brings you your food to your table after you order at the counter. That's kind of what I would think of for cast, for fast casual. You're not being waited on, but they bring your food to you. But it's weird because at the same time, Sonic is fast food, right? Like Sonic is, yeah, is fast yeah, food yeah, because yeah. it's driving, even though somebody comes out to your car and they bring you your food. So I don't know, I guess I don't have a def- definition of fast casual is what I figured out from doing this. My personal Mount Rushmore of fast food restaurants, Chick-fil-A, Wendy's, Popeye's, I'm throwing for a loop on this last one. Dairy Queen. Okay. So hearing that, what's the one that does not belong in that group? Well, you said you were throwing me for a loop on it. So that, that, I don't know. I mean, I honestly, these are all, almost all of these are in my tier two, so I don't hate any of them. Okay, so they're, they're at least top eight for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I put Dairy Queen on there just because Think of all the places that you've been going pretty much regardless of what age you are. And Dairy Queen, even though it's ice cream, most of the time you associate fast food with burgers, with pizza, with something like that. Like I almost had Starbucks in here and then I was like, Starbucks, I don't think of that when I think of fast food. Even though it Mm -hmm. comes up if you search for top fast food restaurants, they have Starbucks all the time obviously, but Dairy Queen is consistently good. 
can't yeah. go wrong with Dairy Queen. You can get your Blizzard. They're going to sit there in the drive-through window. They're going to put it upside down for you. You're going to eat that Oreo Blizzard, and it's going to be delicious. And you know it. It's money in the bank. So that's why I had that in there. Popeyes, the chicken sandwich, it's next level. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's it's better than Chick Fil A. That sandwich by itself is better than Chick Fil A. The Chick Fil A experience though dominates the Popeyes experience and it's not even close. So I'm not gonna mm-hmm. sit here and say, I'd rather go to Popeyes than Chick-fil-A. The sandwich itself, side by side, yeah, yeah. Give me, give me the Popeyes chicken sandwich. And then Wendy's, you, you can't go wrong either. Wendy's has always had such a high floor, burgers, chicken sandwich, spicy nuggets. People love spicy nuggets. Those are a big mm-hmm. deal. Frosties, I'm not a dip my fries in the frosty type of guy, but I love Wendy's Frosties. Always, when I was back in Nebraska, I was a big time um, baked potato and chili type of guy as well. Mm-hmm. Solid. Can't, can't go to a lot of fast food establishments and get chili. Not a thing. I like that Wendy's branches out a little bit. I wouldn't Put go south. to a lot. I'm sure they have it. I just would not order chili in a fast food place. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Will, do you have a, do you have a top four? I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. Do you have a top four? No, you're good. So again, I prepare for this every day of my life. Uh, so here's the thing, okay? Um, so I, me and my buddies were doing this the other day because I have a friend who's a chef and he's like a big time food snob. And like, I love him. He would say that to, you know, to your face. He's a big time food snob. And I was saying, okay, when you guys are on a road trip, where are you okay with stopping? And so like that, mm, that's the, that's the question. Yep. That's the question because I couldn't make this man pick a fast food place. I was like, okay, you're hungry, you're in a car. Where are you pulling over? So I'll say, so I'll say like my tier one, right? I'm gonna go Chick Fil A, Raising Cane's, um, and then. Mm. I know, I know it's terrible and it doesn't fit with those two, but Taco Bell, I will crush some Taco Bell. Judge me all you want. I know it's, it's just ravaging its way through my body, but that's what I signed up for. Um, so I'll put those like, and like I said, that's what I signed up for. So if you get bad Taco Bell, you're like, oh, it's bad Taco Bell. So if I'm going down the road, right, I see uh, any of those three, I'm like, okay, good to go. Now, like I said, there's a tier two, right? This is a place I'll stop at that I won't be upset about that. I put Wendy's at captain of that tier two. I'm never gonna mm. go seek a Wendy's, but I'll put it like, like if I if I see one, I'm like, okay, boom, I'm getting off here. Um, yeah, so I, I'm a huge Starbucks guy as well. Can't really count them though, we've decided. So yeah, I, I would say this. So my tier two is like Wendy's, I'll also say Zaxby's. Now Zaxby's, I do think Zaxby's is overrated. I was thinking about this the other day because I want to put them in the I'll, I'll stop at a Zaxby's because I feel like the experience is a little bit better. But yo, Zaxby's is low key, one of the most hit or miss places like ever. Like you can go to a Zaxby's on the side of the road and it'd be the worst food you ever had. Cause I've had that happen to me. Um, hmm. <laughs> yeah, like, it, cause it's a place that you, you, I, it's a place that you want to say their floor is really high and that's why you put it into your one. And I definitely have incredible Zaxby's. There's one in Hoover, shout out, that I used to go like every day after school. That was awesome. But there's like a specific one in a specific town in Mississippi that I've consistently had bad food at. And there's another one too. So so point being, um, yeah, I, I think that for me, it's like also, shout out Burger King breakfast. Had that for the first time the other day, slaps. Um, so... <laughs> What specifically slaps with Burger King breakfast, if you don't mind my asking? The croissants. All right. Not gonna hate. I've heard of worse food. They honestly, dude, I would put Burger King breakfast in like the tier one of breakfast because they have like the little nugget hash browns and like their croissants are really good. So I I would put like, if it's breakfast time, I'm always gonna hit a Starbucks, I'm gonna hit a Chick-fil-A or I'm gonna hit a Burger King. 
Um, and that's why Chick-fil-A is transcendent. And like I said, there's a lot of Raisin Cane slander in these comments. All right, we can calm down with that. You go to Raisin Cane's in Louisiana, not so wherever you live. I don't care about that one. Go to the one in Louisiana, okay? Go to a real Raisin Cane's, LeBron. And, and, uh, go to a real Raisin Cane's and get you a Caniac, no coleslaw, even though Coach O loves the coleslaw. Get you a double a double sauce, a double fries. Eat your 5,000 calories. If you hate it, you hate America. I love Cane's. Kane's almost made tier one for me, but I, I mm -hmm. probably haven't had enough Kane's experiences. I think I've been there probably four or five times. So I didn't feel like that was fair for me to, to put that in tier one when I don't have that same familiarity. First time I went to Kane's was in Lincoln, Nebraska. Delicious. And then I, I, I made it pretty much in, like I would go, I would often go cover Nebraska football games. And then, you know, depending on who I was with, you know, we'd hit up Kane's afterwards or something. And I oh, love, really quick. I love the sauce. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I forgot one. Whataburger. Whataburger, tier one. Sorry, moving on. I have never had Whataburger. Never had Whataburger, never had In-N-Out. And I was going to have In-N-Out when I was in California, and then I told the horror story of my rental car return thing, and that prevented me from having In-N-Out for the first time. But I, I can't speak on any of those, so I, I'm going to defer to you on, on that. But I have heard nothing but good things about Whataburger, In-N-Out. I've heard a little bit overrated. But isn't it funny how the sauce... The sauce makes a big difference with these fast food places. Like when oh, yeah. I think of the, when I think of the chicken finger war, so to speak, with Zaxby's, with Cane's, with PDQ, which they have PDQ here as well. I had PDQ last week actually, and yeah, I know a lot of people. I had never heard of that is, yeah. it in here. It's it's kind of a, it's it's a little bit more regionalized, but it is very dependent on the sauce. And if you mm -hmm. find that one sauce, like if Chick Fil A didn't have Chick Fil A sauce. How would people talk? And look, I like Polynesian. Don't get, don't get it twisted. I do. Chick-fil-A sauce kind of changes the game. And if you have that, it kind of takes, it, it, it boosts that floor to a place where you know what you're going to get every single time. And I love that. I, and I'm not a big uh, fast food breakfast guy. I'm pretty much Chick-fil-A or Starbucks if I'm having some sort of fast food breakfast. Ever since Chick-fil-A added the egg white grill, that is a game changer for me. Yeah, I'll have mm -hmm. a chicken breast at nine in the morning. I don't care. Whatever, I'm not above that. <laughs> this is America. This is what we pay our taxes for. Chicken breast. Yeah, whatever. Any, chicken biscuit is not breakfast a day. food. Yeah. yeah, people have the chicken biscuit and they convince themselves it's breakfast food. It's really not. I mean, who, who really cares about that? But, you know, I like the egg white grill. I think it's delicious. I love that on the English muffin. So that's, that's where I, I default to. You're right. We, got, we do have some cane slander coming up. So I want people to be beware, be ready for that. Real quick, I'm going to say this and then we can move on. Honey roasted barbecue sauce is my favorite Chick-fil-A sauce. Oh. Try it if you've never had it. It's to me, head and shoulders. Whenever me and John will go on the road for our company, we will get a 30 count of nuggets and like eight of those and some lemonade, oh bro. Boy. It's a great time. <laughs> oh God, that, to be able to split 30 nuggets, I don't want to go back to the, to the Giannis video. I think it'd be, it's, a, it's a little bit tougher if you're trying to do that by yourself. Everybody always thinks they can do it by themselves, but it's really difficult. And one day I'll attempt it though. All right, we asked the Facebook group, what is your Mount Rushmore of fast food restaurants? Do you eat more or less fast food as an adult? And what's the fast food item that you'll never get sick of? Tons of responses here. Let's start with Drew Page. He said, not food, but the best fast food Coke is as follows, and I'll die on this hill. Number one, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> never bad, the Lord has blessed it. He says, number two, <laughs> Sonic because the ice is banging. He is right on about Facts. that. Num and then number three, McDonald's. When it's good, it's amazing. When it's bad, it tastes like watered down battery acid. 
didn't know you knew what watered down battery acid tasted like, but thank you, Drew, for that response. That's something that a lot of people talk about. I'm not a fountain soda guy, I'm a lemonade guy, always. If you have lemonade, I'm getting that. I'm lemonade or water, I'm boring like that. But is, is, that, is that an accurate take with the, the fountain Cokes? I've never met someone who said that sentence before. I'm exactly the same way, weirdly. I get lemonade or really? water almost every. Yeah, that's a weird thing we have in common. Wow. Okay. Yeah, if I go, yeah, if I go to, it's weird though, because I'll get like a Baja Blast because I'm a psychopath, but. <laughs> but it's the only yeah, place they have it. Yeah, exactly. But no, I'm, I'm about the same way. I'll get like a bottled water unless it's Dasani or something, because I'm already like filling my body with trash. I don't want to also have other, you know what I'm saying? Like, Fills not the slander man. Coke. I'll tell you this though, the Waffle House Cokes with the vanilla in them, buddy. Mm. That does sound elite. That sounds really good. Mm. Michael Dark says, I miss the Chick-fil-A spicy chicken biscuit more than I miss certain members of my family. <laughs> That's when you know a fast food item is good. If you say, oh, mom, I haven't seen you in months, but I'm really just thinking about this biscuit. Sorry. I don't think he was talking about his mom, man. He's probably Hopefully thinking like some mom. cousins or something. Come on now. You're right. You're right. I don't mean to start drama on the Dark family. My bad. My bad. Emery, Emery Picker says, not necessarily a positive, but the only Canes I've ever had was in Athens. This is the Canes slander that I warned everyone about. It has been absolutely the worst fast food I've ever tasted. Two out of the three times I've had it. The chicken wasn't cooked through. The fries were a lot closer to mashed potatoes than fried potatoes. Canes sauce dreams that it can grow up to be Zach's sauce someday. Now that I'm off my soapbox about the monstrosity that some people claim is good food, Chick-fil-A spice Spicy chicken is undoubtedly the goat of fast food. I'm not going to disagree with the Chick-fil-A take. I have had good Cane's experiences. I love the toast. I'm a no slaw guy. Love the sauce as well. Got to give me at least three sauces, one for each finger. That'll one, that's that's usually the way it breaks down. I'm not going to sit here and support Cane slander. Can't do it. Can't do it. Matthew Sedro. Mount Rushmore in no <laughs> just particular skip order. Me on that one. Man, hold on, hold on. No, hold fire on. away, fire away. My I, bad, I just, right. I'm gonna be nice to y'all because you know what I'm saying? You guys are my homies, the Georgia boys. You guys are nice. Don't get Canes in Athens, Georgia. Come on, man. You guys got all kinds of nice food over there. Don't do that. Come to Louisiana. You know what I'm saying? Official restaurant of Cocho. There are so many great, wonderful pictures of him just shoveling coleslaw down his mouth. I promise you, like I said, I gave you a full order. Check that out when you're in like an actual place that has good food in Louisiana. But that's the thing, if you're arguing with, like I think it was Emory that said he was allergic to seafood and didn't like Louisiana food. I just, as a Cajun, I just can't really argue with people about food because you know we're viewed as like the culinary inspiration of the Southeast. So if you just don't like our food, that's fine. I'm not gonna agree with you, but that's your personal preference. You know what I'm saying? That's, you know, we're talking about Drew Brees investor Canes. We're talking about Coach O endorser Canes. You can't, come on now. Drew Brees, I thought he missed in walk-ons. Both. Oh, both. Okay, they're like, they're, they're, those two companies are kind of like tied at the hip. A lot of them, they, they share, yeah. Saying that Canes is better in Louisiana is like the Guinness is best when you have it in Dublin. Exactly. Same thing, same thing. And look, I, I've had good Canes experiences, so I, I can't necessarily speak to that, but you just, Hey, I'll defer, I'll defer to the, I have never had canes in Louisiana, so I can't sit here and say that. Matthew Cedro, Mount Rushmore in no particular order. Number one, Whataburger, two, Chick-fil-A, three, Sonic, four, Popeyes. I like that list, even though I haven't had Whataburger, but I like those bottom three. I haven't eaten fast food 
Um, I've eaten fast food uh, probably once or twice a week since starting college and med school due to budget concerns and convenience. Definitely been toning it down recently for the hashtag wedding diet though. You can't ask me to pick just one fast food item as the single best, so I'll give you one from each of my top four. The spicy ketchup from Whataburger. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Spicy chicken sandwich with pepper jack cheese from Chick-fil-A. He's not wrong about that. Uh, any slush or blast from Sonic. And of course, the Popeye's biscuit. If only I could combine these all into one meal. Matthew, no one's stopping like you, bud. Take yeah, yourself a day off of work and just puzzle pieces all together. You could do that. That's, that's your right. Have yourself a day. Um, we already had one Michael Dark response. Sorry about that. Um, uh, Tanner Stars says, I treat myself to McDonald's after doing a ton of work or accomplishing something. I have it a few times a year and it's terribly delicious every time. When I eat dirty, I want the dirtiest. Tanner's Mount Rushmore is definitively McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, Taco Bell, Wendy's. Everybody either loves or hates Taco Bell. I've said this before on these airwaves, but I had a bad Taco Bell experience mid, like, uh, like sophomore year of college. And I used to love Taco Bell. For a solid two, three year stretch, beef and potato burrito, Crunchwrap Supreme, all about it. Would eat that. If I, if I had a choice, I got $6 to spend, I'm hitting up Taco Bell. Had one, and it was actually the day before the comeback. Cause I remember sitting on my couch at home, watching the comeback, having not eaten anything all day because I had like a Taco Bell, like I had like a chicken taco the night before or something. And it was definitely that. Cause then I had the same exact feeling the next time I had Taco Bell and it put me in this funk where it was like food poisoning, but you couldn't quite work through it, if you know what I mean. So my Taco Bell has been scarred by that. So I have not dipped my toe back into the water since then. Will, you're giving me a look right now. I don't like that look you're giving me. No, I just, like I said, I acknowledge Taco Bell is terrible. And the fact that I've given so many food takes after putting Taco Bell in tier one, I'm realizing, because nobody, nobody but me and Dan are in tier one. I know it's bad. Like I said, it's bad. I'm not going to defend it. Let's, let's do a few more here. Uh, Chris Milan says, Taco Bell, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, Wendy's, honorary mentions, Cookout, Bojangles, and Arby's. Interesting. First mention of Arby's. Arby's not that bad. Not that bad. Gonna squat on that take. Could be, could be much worse. Never crave it, but whatever. Um, Nick Ruark says, less fast food as an adult for sure. Chick-fil-A, Canes, Whataburger, Culver's. Best fast food item is spicy deluxe from Chick-fil-A. We can decide here as a podcast, spicy chicken sandwich in some form or another is the best thing from Chick-fil-A. The best fast food item there is. Mm -hmm. um, let's see here. Let's do, Krista Bearer says, can cane sauce be a best fast food item? Yes, it can. It absolutely can. No doubt about it. Um, let's end with, let's end with this one from Jay Woody. He says, uh, Mount Rushmore is Popeye's, Jets Pizza, Abner's, and the sides at Abby's. Uh, I'm weird, I get it, Abbey's? I've never heard of those. Never heard of any of those. I saw this one last night, I was like, are you making these up? Are you messing with us? Yeah, um, he said best, also uh, got into best fast food is odd because they're not on my Mount Rushmore, but a flippin' Hardy's pork chop biscuit is about as perfect as fast food can get. The closest one is an hour away and I will make the drive about once a week. Don't tell the wife, please. We will not. Jay, can't say that I'm gonna sit there and text your wife that you drive an hour for fast food, but hey, we each do crazy things. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Thank you for all the great responses that we got 
fun, fun pod. I'm so excited for this slate this weekend. It's going to be absolutely awesome. If you have not yet, leave us a five-star review. Go subscribe. Go subscribe to our newsletter. Go subscribe to College Football Uncensored. Go subscribe to Saturday Lives Forever, wherever you get your podcasts. Join the Facebook group and hear your name read on air with Figuring It Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.